I need your advice. There's something I want to do, something I have to do. But it'll divide the night's watch. Bitterly. Half the men will hate me the moment I give the order. Half the men hate you already, Lord Commander. Do it. But you don't know what it is. That doesn't matter. You do. You will find little joy in your command. But with luck, you will find the strength to do what needs to be done. Kill the boy, John Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy. And let the man be born. And now, from the crypts of Winterfell, it's your favorite podcast of Thrones, Game of Microphones, with Sir Duncan and Lady Rachel. Winter is here. Seven blessings, Stonemen of the Doom, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, King in the East. And I'm Lady Rachel, Queen in the West. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our podcast. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, this is episode 87. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 5, Kill the Boy. And in case you're not already aware, this series Rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through Season 7. If not, there's still time to be roasted crispy and torn asunder by a pair of hungry dragons in the darkness, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This is a classic episode, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a good episode. I love the name of this episode. Kill the boy. Because we see... Obviously, we'll get into this, but Maester Eamon's conversation with John, where he actually says kill the boy mm-hmm. for John stepping into his role as Lord Commander. But we also see a lot of stepping up from Danny's perspective and, you know, basically sucking down her pride to marry his dar. Ah, nice parallel. Yeah. And She's killing the girl. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then I also felt that again Sansa is becoming definitely a lady in the fact how she deals with Ramsay's display of reek oh man what a fucked up scene yeah and then um also killing the boy when Stannis talks to Sam and he's like you're not a warrior you know but then they start talking about how he killed the white walker and I, I know we'll get into all of this, but, you know, Stannis says, you know, keep reading Samuel Tarly. And we know in the future, he's the one that figures out that John is a Targaryen. Yeah. So he kind of steps up into his role because he keeps reading. Mm-hmm. So um, I love that scene with, with Sam and Stannis. Oh, me too. It's, it's so awesome. Good. Yeah. So I just kind of made those <laughs> um, correlations. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. So uh, 
episode starts with Grey Worm lying there unconscious and Missande is watching with tears in her eyes, just totally upset, right? And then it cuts to the next scene where we know that Grey Worm is alive still, but Barristan is dead. And Danny is super upset, although she's not quite crying. Um, you can, but her lip is like trembling as she's talking to Hisdar and everything. And she goes on to tell Hisdar, who is apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry, my queen. You know, he was a good man. She says, Barristan the Bold, they called him. He crossed a continent to serve me. He was a loyal friend, and he died in an alley, butchered by cowards who hide behind masks. And she's so mad about it. And so I thought that this would be an appropriate moment to um, sort of as a eulogy for the great Batman, Barristan the Bold, to read his entry from the White Book. Oh, yes. That's a pretty cool idea, right? I bet I bet our listeners would love to hear his story yeah. from the White Book. Absolutely. So, the White Book is as follows. Sir Barristan of House Selmy, first born of Sir Lionel Selmy of Harvest Hall, served as squire to Sir Manfred Swan, named the Bold in his tenth year, when he donned borrowed armor to appear as a mystery knight in the tourney of Blackhaven. Where Batman. He was, <laughs> yeah, right? A mystery knight. That is what Batman is. He wears, you know, he, he hides his identity when he goes and out he and fights. Black. And wears black. Yeah. So, Black Haven. Um, so, at this tournament where, uh, where he was defeated and unmasked by Duncan, Prince of Dragonflies, knighted in his 16th year by King Aegon V Targaryen after performing feats of prowess as a mystery knight in the winter tourney at King's Landing, defeating Prince Duncan the Small and Sir Duncan the Tall, Lord Commander of the Kingsguard slew Maley's the Monstrous, last of the Blackfire Pretenders, in a single combat during the War of the Nine Penny Kings, defeated Lormel Longlance and Cedric Storm, the Bastard of Bronzegate, named to Kingsguard in his 23rd year by Lord Commander Sir Gerald Hightower. The, the White Bull, they called him, he was killed at the Tower of Joy. Just a side note. Oh, okay. Defended the passage against all challengers in the tourney of the Silver Bridge. Victor in the melee at Maidenpool. Brought King Ares II to safety during the defiance of Duskendale, despite an arrow wound in the chest. Avenged the murder of his sworn brother, Sir Gawain Gaunt. Rescued Lady Jane Swan and her Septa from the Kingswood Brotherhood, defeating Simon Toyne and the Smiling Knight, the Joker, slaying the former. And it's sort of like a, you know, Batman. Batman is, and the or Joker. I'm sorry, Barristan is Batman. Yeah, and that was his inspiration. And Batman never kills the Joker, right? So of course, no. he can't slay the Smiling Knight like he slayed uh, Simon Toyne. In the Old Town Tourney, defeated and unmasked the mystery knight, Black Shield, revealing him to be the bastard of Uplands, sole champion of Lord Stephen's tourney at Storm's End, where he unhorsed Lord Robert Baratheon, Prince Oberyn Martell, Lord Leighton Hightower, Lord John Connington, big book character, Lord Jason Malister, and Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, Wounded by arrow, spear, 
and sword at the Battle of, Tri- of the Trident whilst fighting beside his sworn brothers and Rhaegar, Prince of Dragonstone. Pardoned and named Lord Commander of the Kingsguard by Robert Baratheon, first of his name. Served in the Honor Guard that brought Lady Cersei of House Lannister to King's Landing to wed Robert. Led the attack on Old Wick during Balon Greyjoy's Rebellion. Champion of the tourney at King's Landing in his 57th year. And finally, dismissed by Joffrey I Baratheon in his 61st year for reasons of advanced age. And wow, that is quite an impressive resume. I mean, who Uh, on earth, who on earth can say that they defeated Sir Duncan the Tall, Rhaegar Targaryen, Oberyn Martell? I mean, all of the best and most legendary names in combat are men that he has defeated, except Sir Arthur Dane. I don't think we read that he's defeated Sir Arthur Dane in anything in here. Oh, interesting. Um, but damn, like, wow, that is an impressive resume. And uh, like, we, like you said, he, he had a tendency to, to hide his identity and fight as a mystery knight, which is very remindful of Batman. And and defeating the smiling knight who would seem to represent the Joker. Uh, I just love it. I thought it would be fun to read that um, in memory of the great Barrist and the Bold. And it's uh, R.I.P. Yeah, we lost him too soon. I mean, he was old, but we still lost him far too soon. Very yes. sad. R.I.P. Yes. So let, what's your number five? My number five is... Shuck it, Trebek. <laughs> Rough, just the way your mother likes it, Trebek. Um, the word fewer is my number five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, I love this this scene because they're arguing <laughs> over bringing the wildlings over to the wall, which is a fairly significant discussion that needs to occur, and. Stannis is over there, like, correcting grammar. (laughs) (laughs) He always has these brilliant moments of comedy where he's like, it's not like he's trying to be funny, but it's just so goddamn funny. Yeah, so the guy up at the table, he's like, let them die. We got our own to worry about. Less enemies for us. And Stannis, like, under his breath, he goes, fewer. Fewer. And it's so funny. Davos is like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, so... um. You know, it's it's a nice scene, too, because we get the. The, you know, both sides of the story, you know, John does a good job by allowing everyone to vet their concerns Mm -hmm. and point of view. And I think he's taking it all in. But, you know, based off his conversation with Maester Eamon, he's decided what he's decided and is going to go through with it. But he does give all of his brothers a chance to express themselves yep, air their grievances so to speak <laughs> yeah and and we we there's lots of good point like alistair makes you know we've been fighting them all for thousands of years they've slaughtered villages and they've slaughtered our brothers and john makes the point you know well we've slaughtered theirs <laughs> yeah totally it's been quite the uh you know the back and forth they cross the wall you kill them you know <laughs> yeah and i i loved ed's sentence here you know i'll follow you anywhere you know that but they killed gren and they killed pip 
Yeah, Ed, Ed is one of his rider dies, you know. So if if Ed can't follow John for, under this circumstance, it's like, whoa, you know, you gotta like big time. Yeah, yeah. So red flags. It, it's um, it's a good one for John, you know. But I love the comedic relief of Stannis because he's so dry. I mean, he's like beyond dry. <laughs> he's like dehydrated. Yeah, and. <laughs> That's hilarious. And uh, I uh, I can credit Game of Thrones with teaching me this grammar lesson because I beforehand didn't quite understand the distinction between fewer and less. Yeah. You know, where, where fewer is quantitative and less is qualitative, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thanks for that, George. <laughs> yeah. So I employ it all the time, too. I'm really careful about it now. I should probably be more careful myself, but... <laughs> We shall see. <laughs> I'll probably catch myself the next time saying I make like, fewer Whoa. mistakes with this grammar than I used to. Uh, yeah. See what I did there. Yeah. So while this is a short number five for me, I think it's important for John's development as Lord Commander. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your number five? My number five is Barbecued Masters Extra Crispy. Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so um, we enter the dragon chamber and Danny had just basically made the call to round up all the masters hilariously. <laughs> and his dar Zalorak is like, but... But I'm one of the masters. I'm the master of my house, you know. And, and Dario just kind of like uh-huh, nods, and they come and yep. scoop him up. And Peace bef- out, homie. Yeah, and before that, uh, Dario had g- given the suggestion, you know, we can we can pull back in the in the pyramid uh, zone or whatever, and and use that as a base of operations, and move street by street, and clear them out, and route out all these fucking harpies, basically. And his dar is kind of like his eyes are like dashing back and forth between the two of them, between uh, Danny and Dario, like terrified of what her response will be. Yeah. I thought that was a funny little piece of acting by um, the actor playing his dar. It's just his eyes darting back and forth. It's great. Yeah. So we uh, we walk into the dragon chamber and all the masters are chained up and they're being pushed <laughs> towards the dragons with like the butts by of the spears, spears, basically. <laughs> yeah. And um Somebody's like, you can't do this. And Danny's like, oh, you know, they'll eat you if I tell them to. They may even eat you if I don't. Children. I love the way she says that, too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the way she says children, you know, like. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Some say I should give up on them, but a good mother never gives up on her children. She disciplines them if she must. And she's sort of speaking about the children. But she's also alluding to the heart, the the masters here as her oh, children sure. as well, you know. So when she says she must, she must discipline them. Sometimes she nods to Dario, and he pushes forth one of the masters. Definitely a double meaning there. Oh yeah, she, you know, she's going to discipline these guys. <laughs> so, uh, but she does not give up on them. And uh, I also like how this line says, you know, tells us that she hasn't lost faith in her babies, her precious dragons. Um, even though Drogon roasted that little girl, she's, she hasn't given up on them completely. She's still trying, which is good. You know, she's, she hasn't completely lost her inner dragon. Sure. And then it's so fucking epic as the first glimpse we get of a dragon, uh, in this scene is, is only allowed by the light of the flame within its mouth. Oh yes. I have this in my notes too. 
as the flames start to build inside of its mouth, you start to see its face light up and then and just fucking roasts this guy. And uh, one of the coolest things about this is that he does not stop burning. You know, like his body stays on fire. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like these, um, the dragon's breath, you could say, is almost like napalm. It seems like there's like, like a, like liquid within it or something that coats the victim and just keeps it burning and burning. I was thinking like wildfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the perfect parallel of napalm, uh, wildfire. Yeah, similar type stuff. So yeah. I wonder if there's some sort of connection between dragon fire and wildfire. Maybe. Maybe mm. that was like, because the pyromancers made the wildfire, but maybe that like dragon fire was their muse to try to emulate or something. Syn- yeah. Make it synthetically. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So this guy is getting roasted hard <laughs> and then the dragons each grab half of him and just rip him right in half. <laughs> <laughs> that's so intense <laughs> blood just splatters everywhere it practically splatters all over the camera lens this is another for the rewatch scene for yeah, me <laughs> yeah for the rewatch <laughs> just do for it the rewatch <laughs> i just gotta do it yeah exactly so uh danny as this guy's getting ripped in half and the dragons are crunching on his bones she starts speaking again who is innocent maybe all of you are looking at one of the masters, then she turns and looks at his dar. Maybe none of you are. And her hand slides up on his back. <laughs> Maybe I should let the dragons decide. And uh, he has an epic response. Valar Morgulis. And she seems like kind of impressed by his bravery here. You know, he's been kind of a bitch just whining about the, the fighting pits up until now and like, oh! I'm, a, I'm one of the masters of my house, you know, don't take me. Don't take me. But all of a sudden he's like, all men must die. <laughs> like facing his death like a champion. Yeah. And she's almost kind of taken aback by it. <laughs> and the guy's like roasting in the background with flames four feet high. <laughs> uh, they're just like toying with Viserion and Rhaegal are just like toying with the body, you know, and, and Danny's like, huh? Ah, Maybe we don't want to overfeed them. Tomorrow, perhaps. And his daughter's look of relief on his face is hilarious. He's like kind of blinking a little bit. Like, it's like oh my God. See him breathing. Dario and the Unsullied kind of gather the masters again and escort them back out from the, uh, from the, the crypt down here. And Danny just hangs out and watches them eat. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's pretty Mad King-like, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's the closest to the Mad King that we've kind of seen her actually uh, what's execute. You know what I mean? As far as she says that she's going to do a lot of stuff like this, but she's actually doing it in this in this scene. Right. This is the second time we've seen her use the dragons to kill people. The first being Krasny's Monastus at Astapor when she uh, takes the Unsullied. Oh, yes. I, I th- I'd forgotten about that, too. I was like, oh, man, this is the first time we've seen her, like, execute people with the dragons. And technically, that's true, like, in, like, a formal execution style. But we did see her, uh, you know, at least have Drogon roast that one guy. And he was little at the time, too. Drogon was, like, tiny little. Yeah, he was pretty tiny. He was still, like, a, she, he was about probably as tall as Danny was. Oh, even less, I think. Yeah. 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 Because he was in that little cage. 
That's true. I like, think with his wingspan, it makes him look a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, man. So that pretty much uh, covers my number five. Roasted Masters. Extra crispy. <laughs> Roasted Masters. Love it. Come get your Masters. Hot, salty Masters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How about your uh, number four? My number four is the scene where Ramsey puts his psycho psychoticness on display and this is we're up at winterfell and they're all at that table ah uh, yes the dinner table in the main room and ruse starts out i trust that you find your chamber suitable my lady she goes yes thank you my lord and they're talking and ramsey is being all like oh i'll, I'll pour your wine here mom <laughs> I'm going to pour your wine too. Yeah. So awkward how he calls her mom. Yeah. And, you know, so he wants to drink to their wedding and may our happiness spread from Moat Kaelin to the last hearth. <laughs> and they go to your wedding, to your wedding. And all three of them drink and Sansa does not drink. She's like, this is stupid. Ah. <laughs> she like, she, she watches them and she looks at her cup and then she puts it down and has like a stank face. She's like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> and this whole time, uh, as this is all happening at the beginning of this scene, Ramsey is just acting way too normal, you know, like way too human. It's it's yeah. it's unnerving and it makes you think like something bad must be coming. Yeah, exactly. And Walda is trying to make small talk with Sansa. <laughs> and she goes, you know, it must be difficult for you being in a strange place. And Sansa's like, this, it, this place is not strange. <laughs> I grew up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck are you talking about? You guys are strange, motherfuckers. It's the people. You guys aren't supposed to be here. I think it's also really funny how she's called Fat Walda over, like, over yeah. and over. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a reason for that. <laughs> what is it? Um, Walder Frey offered... Um, offered Roos a dowry of the the weight of his bride and silver... So he chose the fattest yes, one. A fat young bride. Yeah. Uh, I hope she makes you happy. She's made me very rich. <laughs> yeah. That's a horror. And Kat's like, that's disgusting. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love after Sansa says it's the people who are strange and Ramsey goes, you're right. Very strange. More wine. <laughs> it's like he's totally admitting that he's extremely strange. A whack job. So he says more wine and in comes Reek. Mm. And so Ramsey is gloating about how he's, you know, basically just completely ruined Theon's life, essentially. Mm -hmm. And we start seeing the first glimpse of him torturing Sansa. This is the first time we see him start to play his games with her. Right. Start to begin to torment her. And yes. she's used to being tormented by Joffrey. So she sees these these red flags probably. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. And she even says at one point, she's like, why are you doing this? Mm. Like, what the fuck did I do to you? Like, I've been nothing but polite and kind. And you're starting right. to, you know, come at me. And I'm sure it makes her extremely nervous for maybe not what she is expect like expecting like sexually to be abused, but she, I know she's afraid to be there because of what they did to her family. Totally. So 
this is an important scene for Ramsey and Sansa. And it, it starts to foreshadow that he's going to like torment her because he starts, you know, I imagine that the last time you spoke was in this very room. Are you still angry with him after he, uh, you know, like what he did? <laughs> and I, it, it's so creepy when he says this, he goes, don't worry. The North remembers. Right. Yeah. And that made me think like, does, is, are some of these people that are saying this plants? Like maybe I, I took it as kind of a, you know, echo back to when that old lady enters Sansa's chamber and says, you know, you have friends here in the North. If you're ever in trouble, like, you know, the North remembers. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of a foreshadow to her demise, the old lady's demise and the flaying. And that's really when the torment of Sansa kicks in. Right. To me, this says that Ramsey is aware of that term, which means that he has some type of spies or people infiltrating, maybe pretending to be resistance that are reporting to him because he's like aware of the lingo. He ends up busting Sansa when she goes up to light the candle, right? Yeah. Um, and these this lady, I think, ends up dead because of this. Yes, so, she's flayed. Right. She's flayed. Yeah, totally. So I think I feel like Ramsey has people on the inside here that are within the resistance, you could say. So uh, Ramsey's talking about Theon saying that he's not even Theon anymore. He's a new man, a new person. Aren't you, Reed? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, master. master. <laughs> that's his new name, Reek. And that's when Sansa's think, like, why are you doing this? Yeah, and I think this is really interesting because he's making Reek apologize for a crime he essentially did not commit against Sansa. Mm-hmm. Because... Like, while he did commit a crime and hanging those boys and burning them, which totally. is terrible, it wasn't Brandon Rickon. Yeah, he's like perpetuating the myth that Brandon Rickon were murdered. Yeah, but he, I find it really, you know, kind of comical because across the table is sitting Roose Bolton, who actually killed Sansa's brother and is, you know, there's not been an apology. No for apologizing that. for that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So like personally killed him. <laughs> yeah. Like stabbed him in the heart. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was kind of, you know, disgustingly comical. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which is totally Ramsey's kind of personality in a way. He finds it funny. Yeah. 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 He's so fucked really up. disgusting, you know? So, you know, because, you know, Reek has something to say to you. Like, don't you Reek? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apologize to Lady Sansa for what you did. <sighs> Apologize for murdering her <laughs> two brothers. <laughs> he's like shuddering. And he's like, I'm sorry. Look at her. <laughs> yeah. An apology doesn't mean anything if you are not looking the person in the eye. <sighs> so it, it's just, it goes on way awkwardly too long. And you can feel the tension in the room and, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what? What did? What are you sorry for, Reek? You know, for killing your brothers. There, over and done with. Doesn't everyone feel better? It's like that awkward pause that he does, and he's like looking around the room. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so relieved. It was super tense. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really funny the way he says that. <laughs> yeah. That was getting very tense. Whew. Very tense. <laughs> <laughs> And then again, we see a little bit more torment here. What with having him murdered your brothers and all, 
and the rest of your family gone, like reminding her that, hey, we killed your your mom and your brother and your sister-in-law. Yeah, fucking and everybody. Your, your niece or nephew. <laughs> you know, Reek is the nearest thing to living kin that you have left. Reek, you will give away the bride. <laughs> I just think that's so horrible. Yeah. As if, uh, yeah, as if killing your family wasn't enough and marry, having you marry the people that killed your family was enough. Now we're going to make the person who killed your brother be your father at your wedding and walk you down the aisle. Exactly, which is kind of creepy in itself because Reek, which was Theon, was Ned Stark's ward. Yeah. So he played a big role in Ned's life and the kids' lives and the, you know, the Stark kids' lives. And I just found it interesting. It, it reminded me of being a ward yeah, for it's Ned. Pretty, pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. So then Roos is over it. Yeah, Roos is starting to get fed up with Ramsey's bullshit here, I think. I think he was kind of letting him go on to see how far he would go because I think Roos sees the confidence boost that na- that um, legitimizing him Oh, yeah. gave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. So I think he's trying to see like how how this is changing his son's, you know, demeanor. And as Charlie Murphy would say, Ramsey is a habitual line stepper. <laughs> yes. You know, he just pushes the boundaries crossing yes. every line possible. Yes, he is. He just he pokes the bear. Like Rick James. <laughs> James. <laughs> what do the five fingers say to the face? Slap. <laughs> Unity. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Ramsey's fucking hilarious here. And now Roos is going to lay the hammer down mm-hmm. and put Ramsey back in his place, back where he belongs. Well, Walda, Fat Walda and I have some really good news <laughs> since we're all together. And then Walda's like, we're going to have a baby. <laughs> And uh, this part's funny. Sansa immediately yes, looks over to look. Ramsay for his reaction and then smiles like, over at Fat Walda. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because she absolutely knows what's going through his head. And she rubs it in. I'm very happy for you. Yes. By the way, she's carrying Maester Wolken thinks it looks like a boy. And Ramsay and looks so fucking frustrated. He like, has the wine up to his mouth and he puts it back down like fuck. Yeah, he takes a big gulp. Yep. Oh, man. And Sansa yeah. is just smirking in the background. Oh, I love it. Enjoying it his discomfort. It echoes the smirk when she kills him. Totally, totally. Anything else you want to add for uh, your number four? No, no. What's your number four? Let's see. My number four is John, Birth of the Man. Okay. <laughs> this is... Is this Kill the Boy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, this is uh, my number three, so we can collab. Sounds good. So the beginning of the birth of the man in this episode, I think, is when John goes to visit Tormund. Yes. Okay. Uh, which is also a fucking fantastic scene. Oh, it's fabulous. Um, I, 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 and like, not enough great things can be said about this scene. John's actions, Tormund's reactions. Um, I mean, they've the t- always the been tension. Yeah, the tension um, and like how they're they're Tormund's being antagonistic, but at the same time, they're like really good friends and they have a great respect for each other. And I just love the way that John 
like after the end of this scene, Tormund is on Team John. You know what I mean? Like oh, big time. That's it. Like it's just fucking great. So uh, John comes in and he's asking Tormund where all the rest of the free folk have gone, and uh, he's like, "Where you know where the fuck do they go? Who's leading them now?" And Tormund's like, "They followed Mance. You know they don't follow anybody else. It's only Mance that's been able to pull them together." And uh, he's like, John's like, well, what about you? Right. And he's like, hard to lead when you're in chains. You know, I'm sitting here chained up. What? How are they going to follow me? He's like, well, what if I unchained you? And he's like, <laughs> why, why would, would you, you do, do that? that? Yeah, <laughs> because you're not my enemy and I'm not yours. You sure seemed like my enemy when you were killing my friends. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's pre- pretty good case, you know. 3,000 years the Night's Watch have sworn an oath. <laughs> yeah, to be the shield that guards the realms of men. And for 8,000 years, we've fallen short. You belong to the realms of men, all of you, he says. And uh, his, you know, he's starting to solidify his philosophy here. This is like as it's been you know forming in his mind and this is when he starts to act on his uh, on his resolve and it's fucking great this is the moment you know that the man is being born when he begins to act like maester Eamon said do it <laughs> you know yes so uh <laughs> so Tormund's like you know like what all of a sudden everything's going to change and John's like, yeah, I'm Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, you know, and it's going to change. It's going to change. That's what's happening. And so Tormund's like, well, you know, what do, what do you need me to do? And he's like, you've got to go north of the wall. You've got to gather the remaining free folk, bring them back here. And we, I'll open the gates. We just got to we need to get everybody south of the wall because shit is going down, basically. And so uh, John further states that, you know, he, you know, he doesn't want them to kneel for him. He wants them to just to fight when the time comes fight for the living like we'll all be doing basically you know just join us we can all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to take all of us um and they will you know spectacularly uh at some point so uh <laughs> Tormund has a funny line he says the day that he asks his people to fight with the crows is the day that his people would cut his guts from his belly and make them eat them <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious oh and my god just like picturing that like oh god that'd suck um <laughs> so uh he's like listen if you don't try to make this happen you're condemning them to death worse than death and i, I like that worse than death line because he's alluding to becoming whites yeah like they're not gonna die yeah it's like uh in the walking dead if if you're friend or family member dies of natural causes or is injured and dies, you, you pith them, you know, you, you stab them in the brain to prevent them from coming back as a walker. Cause that's worse than death. Uh, eternal madness and you know, et cetera. Wandering. Yeah. Oh uh, uh, yeah. It's like almost like purgatory. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to find the, a word like that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty horrible. I mean, odds are you, it's not your consciousness. You know, you're just like sort of a, an automaton or a, it's like a, a rebirth of a new animalistic reptilian sort of consciousness other than your own. But still, it's it's your body's doing it. So it's it's fucked up. Like, you don't want that. You don't want that happening to your body. Yeah. So he's like, be, you're, you're condemning them to a fate worse than death because you're just you're too proud to, to make peace. You know, or, or maybe you're not proud. 
Maybe you're just a coward. No one likes being called a coward. Right, Tormund stands up. Easy thing to say to a man in chains. And uh, Tormund is just so much bigger than John. Like he's oh my god, looking down at John. And uh, this is easily one of my favorite moments in the whole show. And uh, it like it means something if you can impress Tormund Giant Spain like this, you know. And John looking Tormund in the eye the whole time, basically grabs Unlock his chains, them. unlocks the chains, removes them, and they're just making eye contact. And I feel like Tormund is like truly inspired by John at this moment. It's not like that he's just respecting John and like, wow, this is cool. He's like inspired by John. I think he sees that John is like, has like a remarkable destiny and he's like, yeah, yeah, like a transcendent figure. Um, It's, you know, he sees what Stannis sees, which is something important. It's wild. I also find this this part as he he's undoing his chains like very symbolic mm. in the fact that they're gonna oh that's brilliant. like let them through the wall like I if you look at it from a perspective they want to get on the other side of this wall right so they're, they're kind of imprisoned up in the north exactly they're be, they've been imprisoned so in the north for thousands the, the of years the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch is essentially unchaining the gate like the you could gate. Say. And Tormund to come through the gate. So I found it very symbolic. That's a fucking, that's a great, great catch there. I like that. It's totally a microcosm of the, of the whole situation. Yeah. That's beautiful. Very poetic. Yes, absolutely. It, it's such a great moment. It gives me goosebumps every time. Every it's time. Like, oh, he's freeing them. Yes. So uh, John goes on, your people need a leader. And they need to get south of the wall before it's too late. And uh, I think Tormund just sees, you know, that John is genuine and he's really trying to save these people. And you can see the internal conflict um, in Tormund written all over his face. Another just amazing performance um, by the actor. I, I can't remember his name at the moment, but you can see he's like he's angry at John. But at the same time, his face is like flinching as he uh, as he's struggling to accept his admiration for John at the same moment. And he's like, enemy or friend? You know, you can see it right across his face. He desperately yeah. wants to, to, to trust John, but he's conditioned by a whole lifetime to hate crows, you know. And uh, John ends up winning. He wins him over. And <laughs> so he basically Definitely. agrees. Yeah, he he basically agrees to go do it, and he tells him most of the most of the wildlings are at hard home, and John's like, oh yeah, yeah, I know where that is. I can give you ten horses, nine other men, um, and Tormund's like, we'll need ships. So he says, we'll get Stannis's ships. Um, I'll talk to him about lending you the fleet, which is pretty crazy, right? I know, right? Just to like lend your whole fleet of ships to the wildlings. <laughs> so uh, make me a little nervous. Yeah, totally. So then Tormund's like, all right, but, you know, one condition, you're coming with me. Um, they're, you're the Lord Commander. They need to hear it from you. If, if they think that the, the ships that they're boarding, like, they, they could be torched on the way back or something like that. You need to be there so that they know that it's not a trick, basically. And uh, the look on John's face is fucking hilarious at that point. I know. He's like, okay. Yeah, he looks super, like... 
like like su- pretty surprised and kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he just exactly. like faced down this big wildling, this big tough wildling, and now he's like, oh. I think he's kind of relieved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably a mix of all, all those two. Uh, you come with me, or I don't go. He tells him, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just like, a, uh, okay, <laughs> just a great. Scene. I think he's relieved in the fact that Torment's agreeing to do it, but then there's like a obviously a twins of nervousness like oh crap now i have to go yeah totally totally oh man and we know what happens at hard home this is the uh the first mention we get of hard home actually that's right that is true so in a couple episodes we will see the chaos i can't wait to talk about that episode that's everybody's you know one of everybody's favorite episodes right oh my god it was it's it's one of my, I think it might be a top three for me. Yeah. One of the best episodes of any show, honestly. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I was showing <laughs> it off to one of my friends the other day. Um, you know, he'd never seen Game of, Game of Thrones. I almost said Game of Microphones. He'd never seen Game of Thrones. So I showed him a few select scenes to sort of pique his interest to, <laughs> to show him that, dude, you need to watch this. Like it's epic. Yeah. So we watched a few minutes of the battle at hard home and he was like, Oh my God, dude. (laughs) Pretty hilarious. Yeah. He's probably going to watch it now. Oh yeah. So that, um, finishes up my number four. Anything else you want to add about the John and Tormund scene? No, that's it for me on that scene. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, actually it didn't, my, uh, number four didn't actually cover the kill the boy part. It was just that this, this moment is like, where he starts to be the man. I, uh, be the man. Okay, yeah. so my number three is actually the the kill the boy scene. Perfect. So we can just jump right into that. Great. Um, so we start with Sam reading a Raven note to Maester Eamon, and it's it's giving him an update on Danny, which I thought was interesting. That yeah. There's somebody sending ravens to Maester Eamon about Danny. Yeah, you, I wonder if it was like specifically to Maester Eamon, if or if it was just somebody like like sending updates about the escalating oh, scene in the in Marine. Maybe. Because, like, but like, why would the Night's Watch need to know that? Yeah, I don't know. Not sure. Either it, way, it's I interesting. I found it interesting. Yeah. So. Maester Eamon's listening with, you know, his little look and he's his little mouth is all pursed and he's like kind of looking off into the distance. And though Daenerys mains her, maintains her grip on Slaver's Bay, forces rise against her from within and without. She refuses to leave until the freedom of the former slaves is secure. She sounds like quite a woman. <laughs> yes, she is. And Sam knows what's up. <laughs> I love Maester Eamon and she's alone, under siege, no family to guide her or protect her. Her last relation, thousands of miles away, useless, dying. <sighs> it's so sad. So sad. And also, uh, I mean, he doesn't know that John is also <laughs> her second to last relation. Yeah, that's uh, so true. He, but he's also dying pretty soon, so <laughs> it applies to him as well. For the first time. Uh-huh. Hopefully the last time. Yeah, it's just so sad that Eamon knows that his time is running out and uh, Sam is just not ready to hear that yet. And he goes, don't say that, Maester Eamon. Like, please don't. Yeah. A Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing. And, and it's just so sad. And then we cue John 
snow or Aegon Targaryen. Targaryen walking in. But this line about a Targaryen being alone in the world being such a terrible thing, it, it it's so painful to hear because he's talking about his own experience being the, the lone Targaryen in the planet, up alone at the wall with his entire family dead. The only surviving members fled to Essos to, you know, that's it. And so he's basically been a Targaryen alone for decades. Long, yeah. And uh, it's it's just sad for to 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 know that he's felt that it's been so terrible <laughs> yeah and you know he he's sad to hear of his kin being alone in the world right and then also it's you know john standing right there and probably hears it and for while John doesn't know he's a Targaryen for a long time. He felt kind of alone in the world and didn't have a place because he was the bastard of Winterfell. So I think not only that, his whole family has been slaughtered too. basically all that remains is Sansa. And yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of parallels here. And um, both of them, this experience being stuck at the wall, being having to stay there. And as that word comes that their family is being killed one by one by one. It just must have been really hard for both of them. Yeah. So there's a lot of parallels between them. And right. Imagine that, especially like as a mother, you know, like you'd never want to lose your children before you go, you know? So being, being Eamon watching younger generations being put to death while he is stuck at the wall, unable to help must just be gut wrenchingly horrible. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. So yeah, John walks in. Yeah, Maester Raymond. <laughs> Art Commander Sam, I'd like to speak to the Maester alone. <laughs> and it's it's this little back and forth between such a wise old man and a young, you know, a young leader. Talk about a mentor in Maester Raymond. Yeah, totally. And I love, I love John says, how are you feeling? Oh, like a hundred year old men slowly freezing to death. (laughs) (laughs) And John smiles. (laughs) Thinks it's funny. Oh, it's so brutal. It's funny. Like the timing of John walking in right now after the line of a Targaryen being alone in the world. um, It's just another hint that John is a Targaryen. Like you mentioned Targaryens and then boom, John walks in. But especially after last episode with all those hints about John having, um, you know, King's blood and whatnot, it's just a particularly poignant moment. Um, (laughs) Pretty on the nose. And uh, tragically, as Aemon is saying this, you know, Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing. You know, he wasn't, a Targaryen alone in the world. He's been there with another Targaryen for this months or time. for years. <laughs> and it's just so tragic that neither of them knew it. They're, they're family members sitting there and they had the chance to share history with each other. And John had the opportunity to learn. He had the best source. Like if Ned was dead, Ned could have told him about his, about a little bit about Rhaegar, but Aemon could have told him everything you know, all of this information about his family and generations of it and their history and, and their exploits and their accomplishments. And it's just so sad. So I think I think Maester Eamon, like relation wise, if I'm not mistaken, is 
John's great, great uncle. Some, yeah, something like that. I, don't know. I think he's Danny's great uncle, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I can't remember. I know that on the show, on the uh, in the books, he's a couple generations older. Even he's like wicked old in the in the books. So like a great, 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 great uncle. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I think in the purpose of the show, I think if I'm not mistaken, he's John's great, great uncle. Sounds good. We'll go with that. <laughs> if I'm wrong, let me know. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us know if we're wrong for sure. Yeah. So. This is when John asked for advice. Yeah. So I need, I need to ask your advice. There's something I want to do, something I have to do, but it will divide the night's watch. And I, I thought this was great because Eamon makes a really good point. Half the men hate you already, Lord Commander. Do it. <laughs> no hesitation. That's the thing. Like, do it. Oh my God, do it's it. amazing. He he he's so good at reading people and getting to know people. Like, sight is almost a distraction at some point. It's, you know what I mean? Like, if if you can't see, you pick up on the nuances. He's reading. He's listening into yeah. the into the variations of their voice, and yeah, it's, you hear their soul. You know. It's true. And so he, he is lack of hesitation here and just saying, do it. It just shows you that he trusts John an extraordinary amount. Yeah. I mean, he was the swing vote to get him into that position. Yeah. So he trusts, he trusts John's decisions. Yeah. He's like inspired like by John, like sort of the way that Tormund is like all these people like look up to John and are just like, they know he knows what's right. Even 200-year-old men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're freezing to death. And John's like, wait, you don't even know what it is I'm talking about. And Eamon's amazing wisdom, that doesn't matter. You do. You find, you'll find little joy in your command, but with luck, you'll find strength to do what needs to be done. Kill the boy, Jon Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy and let the man be born. Oh, it's like, my oh my God. Like, <laughs> I need that in like my inspirational <laughs> right. affirmations in the morning. <laughs> John's, like John's response is, oh, oh, you're, you're speaking philosophically. I thought at first you meant to kill Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> kill the boy, John Snow. And he's like, oh, kill Ollie. That's strange advice. What the hell? <laughs> and then let Why the man be born. Oh, oh, this is a metaphor. Okay. It's about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's ominous though, and uh, it's really important advice. Also, it's funny, you know, kill the boy, let the man be born is totally foreshadowing John's death, you know, and the you could say that in his death the boy is killed and the man is reborn as he as he leaves his command at the Night's Watch and rides south to face his destiny and take his rightful place in in the the Great War. Yes. Yes, the Battle amazing. of Kings, essentially. Oh, Night, yeah, the night King. And <laughs> oh, man, yeah. it's so No, it's good. amazing. It's also, I, you know, with theories floating out there, whether he's the prince who was promised or his offspring is going to be the prince who was promised, you know, killing the boy and let the man be born. Like, you need to step into this role in order to fulfill this prophecy, too. So it kind of fulfills that theory a little bit. Totally. Such a great scene. Yeah. So that was my number three. Do you want to add anything else? 
Um, not really. I think that pretty much does it for that scene. Okay. Another just really powerful, sort of ominous, important moment. Uh, just super sad with the whole alone Targaryen thing when in fact he wasn't alone and even more sad that John had the opportunity to learn about his family and never <laughs> knew that he, <laughs> that it was his family. It was like right there with him. Yeah. It's just so brutal. It's like ships passing Wait in the night. Wait till he makes that revelation in season eight. Yeah, totally. Like, oh my God. Cause he's going to find out that he's a Targaryen and he's going to be like, holy shit. I was related to Maester Aemon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so brutal. He's going to be so mad at Ned. You know, I think he will be, but I think he's grown enough in his character that he will understand. He'll be angry about it, but he'll understand and respect why he did it. Yeah, it's going to take some time, though, I think. Yeah, but I think he's mature enough and has stepped away from that little boy with a chip on his shoulder enough to look at it with a wide lens to see the real reason behind it. And when he rode off to the Night's Watch, Ned did promise him next time we see each other, we'll talk about your mother. Yeah. So maybe Ned would have told him the truth. I think he would have. just never got a chance to see each other again. It's just fucked up that also that Ned was waiting until he made a vow that stripped him of his name and shit to, to then tell him the truth that, oh, you're a Targaryen heir to the king or heir to the throne. John's like, but I just made the vow. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's like, what? Right. <laughs> so. Hilarious. Yeah, so what is your number three? My number three is Reek reunited with Sansa and his programming already begins to fail. Yes. So Sansa approaches the broken tower and there's one shot looking down from the tower, um, which mirrors... Oh, she's standing where Bran fell. Yeah, and she it, it mirrors a shot um, that was looking down at Cat in the pilot episode from the same uh, position, And also I Summer. Yeah, yeah, totally. So Miranda creeps up, and uh, she's pretty. You know, she's pretty pretty. She's really pretty, A little I skinny, think. but, you know, she's pretty. Very skinny, Super but skinny. pretty face. Yeah. So she's like, she's complimenting Sansa's dress and Sansa's, you know, getting Sansa to tell her that she made it herself. And Sansa's like, uh, uh, who are you? You know, like, sorry, why are you? who are you? Like, why yeah. are you touching my dress? Yeah, creepy girl, get away. And so she tells her who she is. Kettlemaster's daughter, Miranda, f- continues admiring her stitching and asks who taught her. Sansa, you know, obviously tells her her mother taught her, which is partially true, but she was... You know, getting instructions by um, septas and stuff, too. Yes, that's true. So uh, Miranda apologizes for what happened to her mom, uh, which is kind of kind of weird, you know, because she doesn't really care. She's just trying to, like, schmooze for a bit, probably because she's yep. so mad about the whole Ramsey looking at her thing, you know. She's just trying to get in close so that she can do some damage, I think. Oh, completely. Yeah, she, she does. She, well, she does. I mean, she's going to enter, like, cause Sansa to meet up with Reek again, which, you know. And then we, we also, Miranda's the one that washes her hair before her wedding, too. Right. Yeah. We'll talk about that, too, next episode. Yeah. It's more, more um, poisoning of the well and stuff there. Oh, no. It's, that's not this next episode, is it? Next episode. The yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. For the rewatch. <laughs> For the rewatch. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that 
Sansa looks very cat-like in this scene. And I don't mean feline. I mean, looks a lot like Catelyn Stark. Mom. Yeah. yeah, the dark colors, the hairstyle. Um, she's starting to starting to adopt the look of the North again, like we were talking about before. Remember, she had she looked up to this to the Southerners so much and was looking she forward to King's Landing. Like yeah, trying to emulate the Southern style, and she's really and now starting she to. Yeah, is adopting her true identity. Yeah. So totally. So Miranda's like, you know, it's great that she taught you how to stitch like that. It's a gift. Now, every time you wear something that you made, you can remember her. And Sansa's like, yeah, I'd rather have a mother, though, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Miranda's like, here, follow me. I got to show you something cool. And they go over, <laughs> over to the, uh, the entrance of the, the kennels, I believe it is. Yes. And so the, it's super creepy, you know, that she unlocks the gate and it's all dark in there and everything. And. And she's like, just walk to the end. It'll be fine. It's not a trap at all. I swear. It's perfectly safe. And Sansa <laughs> has some balls, man. Like, I wouldn't balls. walk through that kennel. Yeah. You, you can pay me a million dollars to walk through that kennel. Right. She goes right in there. <laughs> I think she's like, anything's better than being <laughs> close to Miranda right now. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so she, uh, she's kind of a freak. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a freakazoid. So she starts walking down the, uh, the aisle, the, the walkway and there's, there's gates on either sides with hounds kind of going nuts in there as she's walking by, walking by. And she can see that the, the gate at the end on the left is open. So she walks down and, peers around the edge and there's somebody lying there in the straw and it's reek it <laughs> turns and lifts She's his like, head yeah and you shouldn't be here and uh it's it seems like he's talking about the kennel you know like you shouldn't be here seeing me in the kennel yeah but he's also probably saying like you shouldn't be at winterfell this is not safe for you oh um, yeah i didn't even think about that and Sansa is just furious. Like the sight of him just like throws her into a rage basically. And she storms yeah. out. Well, so, she's already surrounded by her family's killers. And now she is face to face with another, another one. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've talked previously about how, you know, when Ramsey had reek shaving him and everything, he had a, a blade right to his throat and his conditioning was so strong that, Ramsey could torment him about Rob Stark while he had the knife to his throat and he still just continued shaving him and didn't kill him, didn't take the opportunity to do it. And we talked about how going to Winterfell would be a big test for his conditioning, um, his brainwashing. Yes. And yes, we have. Uh, all these memories being jogged by all of the sights and sounds and smells. And, and Sansa is just the, the straw that broke the camel's back basically. So, like we said, this is when we start to see the cracks in the Reek facade start to form. So, Reek enters Ramsay's chambers, and Ramsay has a great, <laughs> a great line. You smell particularly ripe <laughs> <Yes>. this evening. <laughs> ripe. Just hilarious I word. say that to my son sometimes when he gets home from daycare. Uh, <laughs> like, Classic. You smell a little bit ripe. <laughs> <laughs> so, he tells him to pour him some wine and... You know that he knows something because he's like, do you have something to tell me? Oh, it's so creepy. No, my lord. 
And uh, this is a hint that his programming is not 100% locked in anymore because if he was still 100% reek, he would just tell him straight off the bat, but he is hiding something. And yes, this he is. is a clue that Theon is in there still, you know, is starting to, the cracks are forming in, in the reek armor or the reek prison, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Ramsey's like, reek, you know, like, I know you have something to tell me, right? So he starts to tell him, he's stuttering, she, 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 she saw me. Who? Sansa, Lady Sansa. She came to the kennels. And uh, Ramsey's just, he seems like he could be kind of mad. So Reek starts apologizing and asking for forgiveness. And Ramsey's like, come here. You mustn't keep secrets from me, Reek. Get on your knees. And the first time watching, everybody's just got to be like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. no, 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 no. You know, give me your hand. And we know what he's done to Reek's hands before, like flaying his fingers, peeling his, yeah, like, yeah. Fuck, I can't even think about that. So rough. So uh, give me your hand, you know, and everybody's like, oh, shit. No, don't do it. And he's holding it and he says, I forgive you. And this is some hardcore manipulation, man. Like, oh, man. He's so scared to give him his hand, but he still does it anyway, which shows that the Reek programming is still pretty, pretty strong. Yes, I would say it's like 90, 10. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, maybe even 95 or, <laughs> you know, 99, one. But uh, yeah, given the history of the torment that's already happened to his own fingers, it's just remarkable that he's would ever hand him his own hand. And I know, do but it. like he's he, he's either going to resist and get pinned down, or he just does it willingly. Right. So uh, Alfie Allen deserves to be commended again for his performance in this scene, which is just great. He's just completely. He's just always hundred um, percent on his game and just killing it. The Reek character is just beautiful. Totally. Um, so then, you know, from there it goes on to the dinner scene, which we already covered. But the important part um, is that Reek resisted telling Ramsey what he wanted to know there for a minute, which shows that, you know, his his conditioning is starting to break. Yes. Break the conditioning, Reek. Break the conditioning. Do you think that could be because he's at Winterfell? And there's just too many memories that, around. Absolutely. And I think that seeing Sansa just was like a slap it's to the face. It. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Totally. Yeah, that's it for my number three. How about your number two? What you got? My number two is the marriage proposal. Oh, all right. <laughs> so we go back to Marine. We're still in Marine. <laughs> Oh, yes. This marriage proposal. <laughs> yes. This marriage proposal. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes of Danny's in Marine for sure. Oh, yeah. Um. So his star, he's such a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my queen, please do not do this. What about Varlar... Valar Mugulis. Mugul. I never <laughs> Valar Margulis. <laughs> oh, that's going in the outtakes. No, no. At the end. 
I just can't say it right now. Uh, <laughs> Valar Mughalis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Valar Mughalis. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I did not want to die a coward. <laughs> <laughs> Valar Mogules. <laughs> I did not want to die a coward. Apparently, I do not want to die at all. <laughs> I thought that was such a great line. He's like, I'm a fucking bitch. And he sort of like sniffles. <laughs> yeah. And I love I love that Danny has learned this lesson that it takes courage to admit fear. And to admit a mistake. Yeah, I yeah. I'm here to tell you that I was wrong. I was wrong and you were right about tradition. Totally. This is this is a really good moment because it shows that Danny has the traits of a good leader. And this is, uh, it sort of harkens back to the conversation between John and Sir Alistair atop the wall. When, yes. When Alistair admits that he made a mistake and that they should have filled the tunnel but then he yep. goes on to say that a good leader picks a course and sticks to it. Whereas Danny, who is actually a good leader, takes in all the information available at any given time and uses it to make the right choice, even if it's it different than her, her decision. Right. Even if, even if what she learns now to be the right choice is different than something that she than the path that she's already decided to take, she will um, ch- change the navigation and alter the course to uh con- to to incorporate new information into her, into her tactics which is that's a good leader you know i i have a lot of respect Completely. for that absolutely so she continues on um about bringing the people of the city together i will reopen the fighting pits to free men only slavery will never return to marine not while i live and he's like, yes, my queen, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, Please don't yeah. feed me to your dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't feed me. And then this is, you know, her kind of stepping into the kill the kill the girl <laughs> aspect. <laughs> and in order to forge a lasting bond with the Miranese people, I will marry the leader of an ancient family. And his <laughs> dar nods, like, probably <laughs> yeah. a good idea. And I love, she's like looking down at him. Thankfully, a suitor is already on his knees. <laughs> it's like, boom. It, it takes a couple seconds for it to sort of sink in with him, too, because she's not looking at him when she says it, I don't think. And then she's sort no, of like she's kind of behind him. Yeah, she sort of just like walks out. Does she touch his shoulder as she walks out or does she just leave? Um, I think she brushes his shoulder very quickly. And just walks right out. And he's just sort of sitting there like... He's like, oh my God, what just, what happened? just happened? I went from being dragon food to being a king. Right, yeah, I have from, <laughs> from dragon flame to dragon ponane. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I would have settled for my life, but this, yay! Right? We know how much you love her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Freaking hilarious, man. Hilarious. Yeah, so that was my number two. Nice. That's also, yeah, like you said, just a great scene. This this episode, man, has so many good scenes. I know we're like always saying that about every episode, but it's true. It's just such a good show. This we go a lot of again, like 
was it last episode? No, it was a couple episodes. We go a lot of places in this episode. For sure. Which is fun. And we see a lot of people that we don't see very often, like Miranda and Ollie and Podrick mm-hmm. and Brianne. And we see a lot of Miranda, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey. Hey, girl. <laughs> Eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> I got these cheeseburgers, man. I'll give you one of mine. <laughs> Uh, anything else you want to add about that scene? No. What's your number two? My number two is Sam and Stannis. Yes. The Manus. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you know, how can I resist? It's just so much fun to say. Right. <laughs> so we're uh, in the library at Castle Black and uh, <laughs> Gilly, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's freaking hilarious. Is this every book there is? And Sam's like, every book there is. I mean, in the world, <laughs> in the world, Gilly says, she's so it's silly. It's like a tiny ass library. Yeah, and and Sam is like, you know, he's not very like, you know, he, he's trying to be like nice about it, but he's like, oh my sure. god, for real. He's being diplomatic, but he's yeah. kind of like, how do you not know this? Frustrated a little bit. Yeah, he's like, well. No, there are thousands and thousands of books out there. This library is rather small, actually. <laughs> and so they, he goes on to say that um, the Citadel is the largest library in the world. So that's, you know, we've talked about it before, but obviously the Citadel is a parallel for, you know, it could be a couple of things. It could be the library at Alexandria, which would be more fitting for like the time period type thing. But it yeah. could also represent the Library of Congress. Oh, um, I, yeah, I just kind of thought of that right now, which is similar, you know, the, like essentially one of the largest collections of books and things in the planet. So that's kind of cool. Um, but mentioning the Citadel at all, uh, is foreshadowing their upcoming journey to the Citadel together. Yes. Which absolutely. is kind of cool. And so, I love seeing the Citadel. Yeah. That big, like light clock thing that they have. Yeah. Like Astrolabe or whatever it's called. And they, um, the music that plays when the Citadel comes mm. around is so beautiful. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to pay attention for it. Another one that they play at the uh, Game of Thrones in concert. Yes. And they have like that light thing and it comes oh, down from no the center. Way. Yes. So it's cool. so fucking awesome. I can't even, they have to come around again. Yeah. We'll probably be gone by then, but I'm telling you, we will fly back to california to watch it if we have to <laughs> you don't think they'll go to idaho i doubt they'll go to boise i'm not really <laughs> sure but something tells me that <laughs> it's great it's not enough people so gilly's never heard of the citadel and she's like well where's that and he's like the citadel like you don't know about this in it's old town in old town and she, she's like i'm sorry i don't know things because she, she can, was probably gonna say where's old town yeah, yeah and she can tell he's getting a little frustrated and we know that all she knows is s <laughs> yeah. i know s <laughs> so uh sam tries to make her feel better which is nice he's like you know you know a hundred things that i can never do you can build a fire with wet wood which is like whoa you can do that that's pretty awesome that's awesome you can cook you can stitch a wound and she's like you, you stop belittling I can wash me, the like, linens i can sweep the floor he's like, well <laughs> like, yeah you know like, that's you know yeah 
so she's asking why and everything and why they have the biggest library there. And he's like, that's where they train the maesters. And she's like, oh, like, like Maester Eamon. And this is an important part too, because Sam says that he wanted to be a maester when he was young. And instead he became a man of the night's watch, which had to be a little bit disappointing for him, you know, but he's yeah. like trying to try to make himself feel better. Far more adventure up here anyway, you know, I, and I wouldn't have met you, which is true. And it was kind of remindful of, um, of how when when Missande was saying to Grey Worm, like, oh, I'm so sorry that you were cut, that you were mutilated. And he's like, well, I'm not sorry because, you know, if that never happened, I never would have joined the Unsullied. I never would have been made the head of the Unsullied. I never would have been working for Danny and I never would have met you, Missande. Right? So it's sort of a parallel yeah, here with, very much with so. Sam. He's like, you know, my dreams didn't come true and I got stuck in this place that it sucks basically. And I was neutered like in a different type of way and, uh, you know, more metaphorically. And, uh, but it's, it's okay because I met you and I'm going to get laid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty Um, much. But obviously it's foreshadowing his assignment given to him by John, which is that he is going to become a maester. You know, that Yay. at least he's going to begin the process. And Maester, Maester Sam, Maester <laughs> Samwell. Sam. Yeah. That sounds funny. <laughs> and so it's right about at that moment when Stannis comes strolling down the steps. And the get, Manus. <laughs> the Manus. <laughs> and, and Gilly like books it. She runs out She's of like, there. like, oh fuck, I'm getting the hell out of here. Scurries out. Which is hilarious. I don't know. Is it because she's a wildling and she's like terrified of the the, uh, the southern because, king? Or I think because Celise is so bitchy towards her, and that Stannis is a king, and I think she just is like, I'm getting out of here. Like I'm a wildling. Not worthy. We're not worthy. She runs out. <laughs> just don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So he walks in. You're Samuel Tarly. I am your grace. Your father is Randall Tarley. <laughs> I know your dad. Yeah, and their look of anxiety like shoots across Sam's face just at the mere mention of Randall, you know. And uh, we learn a little bit about Randall here that he defeated Robert at the Battle yeah. of Ashford, which is significant. The only one. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, how crazy is that? The only battle that Robert's ever lost. So that tells you something about um Randall Tarley's skill as a as a field commander, you know what I mean? For sure. Um, and he's we, clearly a strong, a, a strong leader. And yeah. A, probably a gruff man, you know, kind of like Stannis. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Stannis obviously has a little bit of respect for him for, for that victory because he also doesn't really like Robert. There was no love. Like, uh, like you said. Yeah. He said that before. Beloved brother, a lie. Take it out. You know, <laughs> type thing. <laughs> so, um, one of my favorite moments of Stannis. <laughs> yeah. And it also shows, that Stannis was a is a competent battle commander as well because he's like I told Robert he shouldn't go so far west so soon but he never listened. So, um, so he's like, "Fine soldier, your father, you don't look like a soldier, but I'm told you killed a White Walker. I did, your grace." <laughs> you know, and he's how? asking like, "How the fuck? Yeah, with a dra- with a dagger made of dragon glass." Dragonglass with the Maester's Skull Obsidian. I know what it is. We have it in Dragonstone. Yes, and this yeah. is important. This is our first hint 
that there's a ton of dragon glass on Dragonstone. And it's it's such a great writing from the showrunner's perspective to just pop that in there because that is something everybody I can guarantee you looked over the first time they watched it. <laughs> Damn, yeah, possibly, yeah. And it's planting seeds that'll be harvested in season seven, is it, when they're mining the dragon glass? Yes, yes. Yeah, so when two John, years away, two full seasons like, later. Sam, Sam, when they're like trying to find, because, you know, this is after like Hard Home and after all these like crazy White Walker battles, and he's trying to find <laughs> like where they can farm the dragon glass. And he remembers that Stannis said this. Yeah, exactly. Which is what gets John over to Danny. So this is, you know, Ugh. that little, that one little thing blurb we have it on dragonstone like propels the basically the climax of the seventh season which is danny and john getting it on <laughs> getting jiggy with it yeah so amazing i love it yeah it's like yeah i mean how incredible the this the, yeah, the importance of these tiny little lines scattered all throughout the show is just amazing um so stannis is like why why would obsidian kill a white walker and Sam's like, I, I don't know. You know, I've been looking through all the old manuscripts scripts, trying to find something. And all I've learned is that the children of the forest used to hunt with dragon glass. Um, and this is when Stannis reveals that the Lady Melisandre told him about the White Walkers, basically. Yep. The red, you know, the red woman told him that death marches on the wall. And I like the, the writing there. The prose is cool. Death marches on the wall. It just sounds super badass, right? And yes. Sam's like, I've seen it, you know? And I, yeah, they walked right past me. <laughs> yeah, the army of the dead he's seen. Literally, the army of the dead. Yes. Um, and when they come, we have to know how to fight them. And then he, there's sort of a pause and keep reading, Samuel Tarley. <laughs> I just fucking love that line. It's so cool. Yes. Like step up. This is your. This is your. How you can contribute because you're not a warrior. <laughs> yeah, and it, like everybody wants validation for for you know their habits or their beliefs or whatever. And for so, sure. so Stannis is validating Sam's existence here, which is great. It's a good confidence booster for Sam, but it also is con it's a compliment to Stannis as well because we we've seen how Stannis sees the value in Jon Snow. And now we're seeing that Stannis sees the value in both John and Sa and Sam, you know, <laughs> which is really cool. And he he basically is like unwittingly stumbled upon a, a veritable dream team at the wall, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Just so, so cool. So uh, yeah, I mean, Stannis is is a great character, and having him meet up with Sam is just like something so like bizarre and unexpected. You wouldn't really Awkwardly imagine it to awesome. happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. So that's the end of my number two. I just love that scene. Yeah. It's a good one for sure. And it's really important for the development of season seven for sure. Absolutely. So what's your number one? My number one is Valeria. Nice. Yeah. My number one is Tyrion sees a dragon so we can okay. combine forces. I love this cinematography and landscape of Valeria. It Absolutely. reminds me of like the Roman ruins, mm -hmm. 
with the archways, yeah, the aqueducts. which is the first historical sign that the, the Valyrians were very advanced and intelligent and, you know, kind of beyond their years. And I know we posted this on the Facebook page, but that shot, I tried to get a good image of it. It's so hard to do, but when they pan out and the, and the boat is kind of in the bottom part of your screen, they pan out to all the archways. Mm-hmm. You can see like, I would say maybe a dozen stone men sitting Lurking. in those. Oh my Into, God. Yeah. It's like so to amazing. the unsuspecting traveler, they might be gargoyles. You know what I mean? I didn't if even, you even notice them. Notice them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like not a clue until I saw an article that came out a couple of years ago, I want to say. And I was like, oh my God. Becky. So I went and I went and put it on my TV and I watched <laughs> it and I was like, I paused it and I counted. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a mind blown moment to, to put that in. It just shows you how much detail the show does, because that is that that level of detail was probably looked over by most viewers. Oh, yeah. Nobody the, the knows. First, the second, first time. third, 10th time you watch it like mm-hmm. I, I had to be told about it to look at it. And it gave this scene a whole new meaning for me as far as the level of detail that goes into the show and what is about to happen to them, which is so ominous, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like they're traveling towards this. It's sort of exaggerated even because there's one shot where Tyrion looks up and it's the shot where he sees the dragon. There's a stone man in the foreground of the shot, yes. but Tyrion yes. is just so distracted by the dragon that he misses it entirely. He's the one that jumps in the water. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. But, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about before we get there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we start out, they're on the boat, and Tyrion is like, don't worry, I'll be fine, nothing broken. <laughs> Where are we now? Long, sullen silences and the occasional punch in the face. The Mormont <laughs> way. <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> this doesn't have to be an unpleasant trip. We're going to be spending a lot of time together on the way to Marine. Jorah's still, like, giving him two-word sentences. We are... But he's agreeing, you know. No so they're, wine. They're getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. No wine. So funny. Two-word sentences. I am. Who drinks. People who drink need to keep drinking. Otherwise, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and then we pan kind of over to a, you know, an image of what they're going into, kind of a fog-covered, you know, very yeah. creepy looking area and he goes i know where we're where we are you're taking us through valyria i am and when i first saw it i was like oh my goodness they're in valyria like i wouldn't want to go to valyria right. doom and jorah's just like casual about it i am you know have you sailed this route before no <laughs> and uh what does he say he's he's like japing about it he's like what are you gonna bring danny or a souvenir from her, her ancestral homeland in case i'm not enough like what the <laughs> fuck man i think you'll be plenty and then here we get some you know myth you know myths of the world you know what they say the doom still rules valeria what about the demons and the flames aren't you afraid of the doom no but the pirates are. Tyrion's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, we're, <laughs> like, we're just okay. hiding from the, the pirates. I got it. Yeah. Okay. That makes decent sense. So we're going to like 
avoid one danger to go through another unknown danger. Yeah, exactly. Then it cuts to the next scene where we're like amidst the ruins. Yes. Oh my God. The smoking sea. And I love like the, uh, like the, the, the wonder that Tyrion is sort of feeling here. How many centuries before we learn to be, how to build cities like this again. And it makes me think of, of some real life examples of this type of thing where like things that we've discover from the ancient world that were completely, completely incapable of replicating today. Think about that for a second. There are things in the world that we've discovered that we are incapable of replicating today. The Giza pyramid. Yep. Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Kailasa temple. Have you ever heard of Kailasa temple? No, I haven't. It's like right near Tibet, basically near Mount Kailash. There's a giant mountain and and in like a temple is built not it's not built it's like it's like somebody took a giant cnc milling machine and drilled out all of the rock leaving the shape of the this perfect intricately ornately carved temple with all these animals and elephants and just the most ridiculous shit carved right out of the mountain and it's not small it's huge and it's like insane i'll i'll post a link to it on on the facebook because it's just so amazing to see that and uh in like 300 bc or something um a guy commissioned a, a group of marauders to try to trash the temple and they showed up with the hardest tools that they could find. And they spent like th- like years trying to smash the temple and were just incapable of doing it. Like the stone is so hard that, and, and this, this... Like how could it be carved? How, yeah, how could it even be carved? And to this level of precision, it's like, it's like, it's, it's seemingly impossible. We couldn't, nothing like it exists that we've ever been able to do. So nobody knows how it was built, who designed it anything like that it's just like this 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 archaeological anomaly just sitting there that nobody even really knows about kailasa temple k-a-i-l-a-s-a kailasa temple google it it's really freaking cool okay yeah let's post let's post it to the facebook page too because that seems pretty awesome uh, yeah. So, you know, he's, he goes on thousands of years. The Valerians were the best in the world at almost everything. And then, you know, they weren't. And I love this part here with the poem that they sort of recite. I think yes, we should, I think yes. we should do this as our last words. Okay. Uh, at the end, just the poem and just, yeah, we can do it now too. Um, but it just, it's just so cool. We can like, you know, recite it at the end of the episode. Okay, yeah, perfect. Uh, Tyrion, Start Tyrion starts reciting this poem. They held each other close and turned their backs upon the end. The hills that split asunder and the black that ate the skies. The flames that shot so high and hot that even dragons burned. Would never be the final sights that fell upon their eyes. A fly upon the wall, the waves the sea wind whipped and churned. The city of a thousand years, and all the men had learned. The doom consumed it all alike, and neither of them turned. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that is just so cool. Right? Yeah. The, the writing, the, the prose <laughs> again. It's so beautiful. And it's, it's a <sighs> nice moment between the two of them because they connect. 
because this this poem is like if I'm not mistaken a story like part of a story that we're taught to young lords and ladies yeah so some, it's yeah. like a it's like a poem that every nobleman knows a lesson of the learned you could say yes yeah, so they kind of connect that they're both from Westeros, from noble houses, and and not only that, but that they both paid attention, that they're both educated. Yes. Like not every noble lord like listens to this type of shit, you know. Like sure. Jamie, Jamie wouldn't remember the exact words of this no. poem, you know. But Tyrion read and learned and listened and is interested in this type of stuff. So it's a moment where they're both realizing that they're both like, um, like. Uh, of more of a like a, a an intellectual type of person you could say um which is just a it's a it's a, a powerful way for them to connect yes absolutely <laughs> and Tyrion's like i would clap it lifts up his hands like they're still <laughs> bound I'm untie me please you know and the fact that he <laughs> jorah just like smirks and it's unfortunate because uh you know it would have been helpful if, if he had actually untied him here considering the yeah. attack that's about to happen and between their banter back and forth as as you get jorah's point of view you see behind Tyrion. if i'm not wait no other way around from Tyrion's point of view. When he's talking to Jorah, you can see the stone men in the background. Yep. And, uh, I think it's worth noting too, as they're reading this poem, um, like <laughs> man, Ian Glenn has an amazing voice. Yes. When he finishes reciting that poem, I've, it's just like, wow. Every time is just his, his voice is just so powerful and like authoritative and, like he's just great at imparting that sense of mystery and and like um majesty and mystique you know it's just so cool great great tv this is good good tv really just genius writing and everything um it's so funny the actor that plays jorah looks exactly like my my uncle <laughs> oh really that's so funny yes it's so funny and he and my so it's my aunt's husband, new husband, and he's from Australia. So he has an accent too. Ah, <laughs> uh, no way. Yeah. So That's it's great. funny. Anytime I see Jorah on TV, I look at my husband, I'm like, is that Michael? It's <laughs> hilarious. So uh, Tyrion's like, I suppose this is it then. This is what remains. And uh, we, we're starting to get closer up views of the, the ruins and the ruins yeah. sort of remind me of this, this ancient city off the coast of Micronesia called Nan Madal. And it's an abandoned city, a giant city made entirely out of pieces of basalt crystal. Oh, and, what? Yeah. And the locals don't fuck with it. They stay far away and they say it's haunted. So another just like cool little place, like it's sort of like the, the doom, like no people stay away from it. It's got, there's rumors about horrible things happening there and the, that, you know, the, the stone men and the, the ghosts and everything that Tyrion was just talking about a minute ago. Nan Madal is like the real world world version of that, this ancient abandoned city. I wonder if that was the inspiration for Valeria. It could be probably one of many, I would say. Um, it, it, but it's it's just cool there's like i love the all of like the 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 real life mysteries that are brought to my mind by by this episode uh yeah it's just so cool 
And this is when, you know, as you're saying, we start to see the stone men dotting the structure, <laughs> blurred in the background as they approach and uh, easily could be mistaken for statues. And this is it. T- Jorah sees something and Tyrion turns and he sees it, a dragon. And he nearly leaps to his feet and his face and his... Oh, it's such good acting. Oh my God. Right? Wonder and terror and awe. It's like his whole life, he's been having dreams about dragons and reading about dragons. And, uh, you know, it, like Tyrion, he, like, he almost has to be a Targaryen based on, you know, certain things that, like the dragon dreams, for instance, and his obsession with dragons. And I'm sure, sure, like, yeah, pe- I'm sure lots of people have them, but there's all kinds of little hints that Tyrion may be a Targaryen. And we've talked yeah. about the theory before. But uh, Jorah's face, you know, Tyrion's like, oh my God, this is fucking epic. Holy shit, are you guys seeing this? Oh my God, look at that. And Jorah looks kind of a little nervous, like, like, yeah, I've always been cool with Drogon, but his mom is like kind of super pissed at me right now. So I don't know how Drogon would react if he saw me right at this moment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Jorah, Jorah knows this dragon, so he's, it's nothing like new for him. But it, it, seeing that makes him think of Danny, and he looks nervous. I think him. he's also in awe as well of how big he's gotten. Because yeah, he hasn't true. seen him for a long time. Right, like, oh, wow, he's really huge now. Like, <laughs> huge. And he's like... It's it's a it's a beaconing sign of Danny looming over his consciousness, his thoughts. And yes. Oh, that's a great way to put it, too. You know, it's like and now the closer he gets, she's getting even bigger in his mind. And then cue Drogon, who's just massive. And it's mm-hmm. like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's and it's what like we're going back to. Yeah. And Drogon is just there. And then he's just flies off and he's gone. And it's like Danny, these fleeting thoughts of her through his head. But yes, then she's gone exactly. again, you know. Exactly. Oh, so sad, Jorah. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, as they pass through, all of a sudden, plop. What was that? <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> Ravens? No. Oh, no, it's Stone oh, Men. No, it's Stone Men. <laughs> Don't let them Don't touch you. Don't let them you. touch you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like there, Jorah is simultaneously trying to protect his cargo that he's delivering that may mean good graces again with Danny, but it's also like kind of his new buddy that they just, do we just become best friends? <laughs> Stepbrothers. Yes. <laughs> if you could sleep with one guy, who would it be? John Stamos. Yes. And it also <laughs> reminds me, I know you're not a basketball guy, but it reminds me when Kevin Durant signed with the Golden State Warriors, there's this meme of him hugging Steph Curry and there's a little bubble above him that says, did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love uh, like references to stepbrothers are great. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go do karate in the garage? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a hilarious video of me and my sister doing that bit on uh, what was that that app that was funny for a few minutes where they have all these audio files and you like act out the video to go with the audio. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, I have no idea. It was cool. I'll post that too because it's pretty funny. Nice. Well, that was that was my number one. So your number one it was seeing the dragon, but there's more to talk about here too. Yeah. Um, so we, we start to see the stone men. We've heard about them before. We've heard about how they're, they get banished to Valyria and how they're not like quite normal anymore. So it's, it's like 
as the grayscale starts to set in, first it affects your your extremities, and then it starts spreading to your core, and then it starts to affect your brain, and you start to your brain starts to like calcify or something, and you you become more animalistic as the outer layers of your brain stop working, and it's only like the core, the primal re- reptilian primal yeah inner brain that's that's active. So they're like, like, <laughs> like just attacking and hunting and like, you know, they're like rage filled. Uh, so they're jumping on the boat and Jorah's fighting them and Tyrion's like just trying to escape and his hands cut are cut. Free. Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually Tyrion is, is this one, one zombie, I almost said, this one stone man is like getting closer and closer to Tyrion and Tyrion's climbing over the little uh, seats on the boat and everything. He's like screaming at him. He's like, Mormont! Mormont! Yeah, and then eventually he falls into the water. And, uh, it you know, it could be worse, right? Until the hand reaches up and grabs him, kind of like the hand reaching out of the ground that grabbed Jojen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sort of similar to that. And the stone man, I don't know, like they all sort of plopped into the water and then climbed onto the boat. But this one is just sinking. Uh, yeah. And he just drags Tyrion right down with him. And what a terrifying concept. Maybe, maybe that one was sinking because he's farther gone than the other ones. I wonder if they get heavier. Like, oh, yeah. Sh- I'm, yeah, the- I'm sure you're right. So maybe that's why he was sinking. So he grabbed Tyrion to pull him down. And maybe he like just didn't have a breath in his lungs when he got in the water or something too. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, yeah. who knows? Either way, he's he's sinking and drags Tyrion down with him. And man, for book readers, this was a particularly traumatic moment because on the show, the next thing we see is Tyrion's eyes blinking open and a beach. But in the books, George had to fucking torture us. And this is the end of the chapter as Tyrion sinks. Um, So you're left thinking Tyrion is dead Dead. for a a number of chapters until until you get to the next Tyrion chapter and he wakes up on the beach. But yeah, I'm sure that was a moment that had people like, you know, the equivalent of throwing your game controller through the, through the TV, like throwing the books out, like breaking windows. Oh, or something. come on! Yeah, just burning their books and everything. Just a torturous moment. Uh, yeah. I just love that battle raging on the little boat with the, the stone men and everything. And Tyrion's desperately scrambling about. So funny. So then uh, Tyrion wakes up on the shore. Thank fuck that Tyrion is alive. Man, imagine if Tyrion died there. No, I couldn't. No, exactly. No. The answer is no. Yeah, yeah. And Jorah, like you can see how concerned he is. Tyrion, 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 you know, and kind of slapping him a little bit and he he wakes up. Oh, you're all right. And it's like you can can really uh, see how Jorah seems to... uh, to care for Tyrion at this point. And it's like how that, that single moment of shared intellect really formed a, a connection between them and sort of brought them together in a way that I don't think either of them expected. Yeah. And it I was, agree. it was pleasant, pleasantly uh, um, received for both of them, I think as well. Like they both sort of started to really like respect each other. <laughs> um, like, Oh, you remembered this too. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Like, you're, there's more to you than I thought there was, Jorah, you know, <laughs> type thing. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it, you can also see um, another thing that signifies that Jorah is starting to care about Tyrion is that he's referring to him by his first name. Oh, you know? that's that's true. It's like yep. personal. He's like Tyrion. You know, he's not like imp or, you know, something like that. I think this is the first time he said his name, actually. Yeah, yeah, totally is. Uh, totally. And it, it, it reminds me of that scene in the bathhouse with Jamie and Brienne. Yes. You know, where, where they have that moment where they connect and he collapses into her arms and she's screaming for help. You know, someone help, help the Kingslayer, you know, and he's just like, Jamie, my name is Jamie, you know, and from then on, they're like on a first name basis type thing. And that's, that's, that's what just happened with Tyrion and Jorah here, like a traumatic event where... Tyrion is in Jamie, uh, Tyrion is in Jorah's arms essentially just like Jamie was in <laughs> in Brienne's arms trying to save him as they're like uh, as he is almost drowning in the bathtub and as Tyrion just almost drowned in the in the Valyrian river here. <laughs> yeah, a lot of parallels. Good yeah. good catch. I didn't even think of that. Pretty cool. Like I'm just just right now on the spot I'm thinking of that. And uh it's also funny that Jorah like <laughs> Just like they lost the boat, <laughs> you know, it's just gone. Oh, yeah, they're Jorah gonna have just, to walk. Yeah, George just dives out. He's like, you know, saving Tyrion is more important. Like, we'll figure the rest out when we can. Yeah, and he sure. really puts everything on the line here because, uh, as we come to learn, uh, you know, Jorah asks Tyrion, Did any of them touch you? He's like, No, you, and Jorah shakes his head, but. Doesn't answer. It doesn't answer. He says, I, I've seen Grayscale before, but nothing like that. And uh, f- fucking poor Jorah, man, as if, you know, shit wasn't bad enough for him, being banished yeah. by the woman he loves and... and exiled know, from Westeros. Exiled from exiled Westeros. From Marine. Losing his first love as well, who he fought so hard to try to keep. Um, is His whole story is just tragedy. <laughs> and then now on top of it all... He walks off and uh, pulls up his sleeve, and we see that he is contaminated with grayscale. Yeah, so sad. It's so sad. It's so fucking sad. I love Jorah, man. I really like the Jorah character. Me too. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's sad. There's a couple other interesting lines here too. We sort of skipped ahead to the reveal, but. Uh, he says he's never seen grayscale like that. And, and sa- Tyrion says that. And uh, Jorah's like, I suppose that's why they, they send them here. And uh, Tyrion says, it would be kinder to put daggers in their hearts and be done with it. Ugh. Right. And it's, so that's sort of calling back to Shireen and how, you know, in, in, instead of putting a dagger in her heart or sending her to Valyria, Stannis tried really hard to do everything and ended up, you know, saving her, which is fucking awesome. But it also it calls back to John's line to Tormund earlier about a face, a fate worse than death. You're oh, yeah. to be becoming a white. This is a similar type of fate, losing your body and your mind and being doomed to an existence of insanity for the yeah. rest of your life. You know, very similar type of thing, being a zombie uh, in the grips of madness for all eternity or, losing your mind to grayscale and being doomed to be reverting back to these animalistic primal. Yeah. So sort of parallels here between whites and grayscale and, um, the 
insanity that results for them. And Tyrion thanks Jorah for saving him. And, and Jorah just kind of winces knowing the cost that <laughs> the result, losing the boat, contracting Grayscale himself. And Tyr- Tyrion has a funny line though. Of course, I wouldn't have needed saving if you hadn't kidnapped me in the first place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, what now? So they, they decide they're going to be walking and with any luck, they'll find a fishing village with another boat or something. Um, and without luck, uh, you know, oh, they've got even, a long walk. Yeah. They don't even want to think about it. Really. You got to make some, start making some preparations. Uh, I'm going to go get some wood basically Jorah says. And that's when he shows us that he has grayscale. Really sad. Yeah. And sad music plays. And, um, I like how the the cinematography is this at this moment as it's revealed before he pulls up his sleeve. It's sort of a solemn shot of him looking out over the doom and then looking down at his own doom and the uh, just the the ruins of Valyria and the the squandering of the potential of and the glory of everything that it could have been and everything that it was and all of its potential, you know, it's, it's mirroring Jorah's own doom here as his own future is being squandered and cut short in its prime by the onset of grayscale. And he's going to be like, I think he's looking at his future too, because I mean, he's been exiled from Westeros. He's been exiled from Marine. Yeah. Like like the stone men are exiled to Valyria. (laughs) Exiled to Valyria. And he's like, fuck. (laughs) That's almost a foreshadow of him getting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, God damn it. Yeah. So yeah. God damn it, Bobby. <laughs> damn it, Bobby. <laughs> um, anything else you want to add about this scene? No, I think that's it. All right. Yeah. I think we can just add that the makeup is pretty good on Jorah's arm here. And I'm wondering if it's actually makeup or if it's all digital. Um, well, I think... I know that the stone men are, it's makeup. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be makeup. And I think you can see like, like the skin sort of like pulling around the edge of the makeup, like, uh, like, like this, like a, like a prosthetic almost. Yeah. But it's, it's perfect for it because it's like the, the, the formation of the grayscale is, it's It's like like drying, drying. I want to put some lotion on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like pulling all the rest of the skin around it. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. Um, so Yeah. All That's right. We still have some notes. Yes, we do. Um, what's your next note? My next note is John and Ollie. All right. So John's in his chambers and Ollie comes in with his food and John goes, thank you. Ollie, if you have something you want to say to me, say it. It's all right. And Ollie's like, you don't mean it, do you? Telling the wildlings to make peace. Mm-hmm. You're just doing it to trick him. And John's like, oh, fuck. It's not a trick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's sorry, dude. Yeah, like, sorry, I, I know what they did, basically. But but like, you're not looking at the big picture, little kid. It's yeah. You know, but poor Ollie. It's like they burned my village. They put an arrow through my father's head right in front of me. They butchered my mother. Everyone I ever knew. I know what it's like to lose people you love. I know this is hard for you. Winter is coming. We know what's coming with it. We can't face it alone. And then Ollie just looks at him like, you asshole. And so he goes, will there be anything else you need, Lord Commander? (laughs) Yeah, so pissed. 
fuck off. John's like, no, yeah. <laughs> get out. Bottom line here is that John has transcended, transcended the whole plane of thought that most people are trapped in. Uh, he sees the big picture and has, you know, put all of this in a perspective that other people just aren't quite capable of understanding yet at this point. Yeah. Um, there's also in the scene right before that, there's a couple good lines that were worth mentioning. Um, he says to, uh, to Dolores Ed, after he speaks out about how the wildlings killed Gran and Pip, he says, we can learn to live with the wildlings or we can add them to the army of the dead, whatever they are now. They're better than that, um, which is just a great line because uh, amazing. It's it's the first time where he explains that you know if if we don't take in the wildlings and help them, you might as well just add them to the dead army. They're going to be killed and they're going to be reanimated as whites. We're going to have to fight them if they become undead. Yeah, if we let them through and we end up having to fight them, at least they die. <laughs> yeah, we just need we need them on our side instead of their side. If we don't yeah. pick them if we don't pick them on our team, the other team's going to pick them first, you know. Basically. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, so I just like that line that this is the first time we we realize that John understands that they will be um, you know, army part of the dead army and we see it happen at Hardhome. All the people that they couldn't save that that Night King walks to that dock, raises his arms, and they all rise, and they are in the army of the dead at that point. So John is totally right. We can learn to live with them, or we can add them to the army of the dead, and we see it happen. Yep, absolutely. What's your next notes? My next notes are the spies of Winterfell, Ooh. which is Pod and Brienne. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like how you called them the spies of Winterfell because uh, in the book, there's a chapter called the ghost of Winterfell and it's from Theon's perspective. Oh, so really? There's the spies of Winterfell, like you just said, and then there's the ghost of Winterfell oh, cool. and then there's the bastard of Winterfell. <laughs> you know, there's all these things <laughs> of Winterfell. Winterfell, Winterfell, Winterfell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're kind of in this inn and, Podrick's noting that she's far away from the Lannisters. This is her home. Maybe Lady Sansa is better off here. And Brienne's like, better off with the Boltons yeah. <laughs> who murdered her mother and brother. Point taken. Sansa's in danger, even if she doesn't realize it. And I think after Sansa's interaction earlier with Theon and and what's his face, Ramsey? <laughs> I think she's starting to get a, a whiff of that she is in more danger than maybe she sus originally suspected. Totally. And Brienne looks up at the guy who comes in, and you know, she, she's like, "Have you lived here a long time?" I. Did you know Lord Eddard? I knew him and his father before him. Starks are gone now. Not all of them. I know who's inside that castle. Everyone knows the Boltons. I'm not talking about the Boltons. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not talking about the Boltons. I need to get a message to her, to Sansa Stark. <laughs> He's like, who are you? <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> Someone who swore to keep her safe. Yeah. I, I, I like this guy's performance here. Like he sort of smiles when he's asking, who are you? And it's like, uh, like, oh man, like maybe this is a good person to, to have here. Like he's intrigued no by one. this, you know? <laughs> yeah, no one. 
so um, he goes, you know, her mom's dead. And Brian's like, well, that doesn't release me from the oath I, you know, said to Catelyn. And I serve her still. And then she goes, who do you serve? Right. Like making sure. And yeah, so we know now that this man is tied to this old lady somehow because Mm -hmm. he's the one that gives her the instructions to tell Sansa because she can infiltrate Sansa's chambers. Yep. That's the message that Brienne wants to get to Sansa. That's right. That's right. The candle in the window, which will uh, get the candle in the window. mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, um, I just, I love Brienne and Podrick. (laughs) What are you going to, what are you going to do? Totally. (laughs) So next we get a naked Miranda by the window and she is pissed at, uh, (laughs) Ramsey. Yeah. She's so pissed at Ramsey for just like staring at her and at Sansa and Ramsey's like, well, I'm going to marry her. That will involve looking at her from time to time, (laughs) (laughs) which is a great line. And Miranda's all butthurt because previously uh, Ramsey had said that he would marry her, but that was when he was a bastard named Snow. And now what he says, what I want is no longer the primary consideration. Uh, he's furthering a dynasty, which is... Which he's so proud of. He's super like, proud of Like the way he says it. He's yeah. like, I'm and he, furthering my dynasty. Yeah. And he's like, he's stoked about it. Like marrying Sansa, being a Bolton, but he's playing it off like it's not his choice. Like he's been thrust yeah. into this and he, you know, it's not his choice. He can't marry Miranda now. Um, she's like, so she's like, do you think she's pretty? And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm not blind. He totally scoffs at her. He's like, of course I do. Yeah. And she jerks her head away, like all mad. And, um, he's like, you think she's pretty too. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And he's like, I'm looking forward to our wedding night, which is fucking gross. Considering, you know, like know. what happens. That means that like the whole, like, uh, thing was like premeditated, which makes it even more disgusting. Yeah. You know, like the whole watching reek look and watch yeah, and, and just all like that the whole, shit. like, yeah. Forced, uh, you know, everything. Disgusting. And, yeah. So, um, he's like, but don't worry, I'll have plenty of time for you. Uh, so she's like trying to make him jealous. Like, well, maybe I'll get married too. And he's like, kennel master's daughter. Yeah. Good luck, bitch. And she tries to like hit him, but he restrains her and decide, <laughs> decides to, you know, have his way with her instead. But first, he, uh, he, yeah, she goes to hit him and, and he's like, you're mine. You're not going anywhere. Going anywhere. Unless uh, I have to listen to more of your jealousy. Jealousy bores me. You know what happens to people who bore me. And uh, Tansy. <laughs> yeah, Tansy. Exactly. You're not going to bore me. Are you, Miranda? And this is like one of the creepiest lines of manipulations I've ever seen on screen, I think. Like super fucking creepy. Yeah. And she seems scared, but also highly motivated. <laughs> and so she kisses him and bites his lip bloody. And <laughs> and that's not boring <laughs> for Ramsey. No, he gets all like yeah, wild eyed. He's like, I'm the fuck the shit out of you now. Yeah, he likes that shit. <laughs> and she's like, never, I won't bore you. And uh, what a freakish relationship these two have, huh? Oh, my God. Yeah. She's lucky he didn't, like, throw her out the window. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. But uh, she took a chance and it paid off. Because she's still in his good graces. Yeah. Totally. 
I think it also foreshadows his death because he gets bit in the face by dogs. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, that's so funny. The kennel master's daughter. The kennel master's daughter bites him, and then it's the dogs that bite him. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Good, good pickup there. Yeah, thanks. Nice. So then yeah. we, we're in Sansa's So now we chambers. get the candle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The woman walks in and she com- comes under the guise of filling the wash basin. But what she really wants to do is pass on the message saying, you still have friends in the north. If you're ever in trouble, just light a candle in the highest window of the broken tower. But, but who? You're not alone. And she walks out and a uh, poor woman ends up being flayed like you've mentioned, right? I know. And he even says, you know, she fought like the whole way until her, you know, just till her heart gave out. Oh, God, I forgot about that. So fucked up. She was stubborn. He goes, we breed him, you know, like we breed him strong here in the, in the north, north or something yeah. like that. Oh, God. It's, hor- it's horrible. So twisted. The next one I have is Fat Walda's pregnant and yeah. Ramsey and Rose's conversation. <laughs> <laughs> How can you be sure? <laughs> <laughs> How did you manage it? Manage what? Getting her pregnant. I imagine you're familiar <laughs> with the procedure. <laughs> the procedure. <laughs> of course. But how did you find it? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. That's so bad. <laughs> and that he, Roos shows how pissed he is here. Is you, you disgraced yourself at dinner, parading that creature before the Stark girl. Yeah, and he doesn't... And he just doesn't even, like, acknowledge it. He goes, and if it's a boy... Right. You're worried about your position. My position is quite clear. I'm your son until a better better alternative comes along. And this is when Roos gets all fucking creepy and decides oh. to tell, uh, you know, un- unlike Ned, who never got to tell John about his mother, Roos gets to tell this, this uh, legitimized bastard about his mother. Yeah. Uh, but it, he's like... He's like, you never asked me about your mother. And this this shows what a total sociopath Ramsey is. He's just like, why would I? She had me, she died, and here we are. You know, it's just like no sense of human connection whatsoever. No, not at all. Total sociopath. So Roos goes into the story of how she was a peasant girl, pretty in a common sort of way. She was the miller's wife, and she got married without his consent. And so he had the husband hanged and he raped her beneath the tree where, the, where he was swaying, Ugh. which is fucking brutal. What the hell? That's so fucked up. Like, uh, yeah. So she fought him the whole time and she was lucky he didn't hang her. And a year later, she came to the gates with a squalling baby in her arms. And she, he's lucky she didn't come to the gates with a fucking sharpened spear in her arms. You know what I mean? Fuck. Like, yeah, I would have... You know, if somebody did some shit like that to me, that's crossbowed on the privy type type uh, <laughs> thing. You know what I mean? Seriously. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> sort of similarly to uh, to Tywin, he nearly had her whipped and the child thrown in the river, but he looked at him at Ramsey and saw what he sees now, and I'm like, what a freak show! <laughs> you know, the uh, this is the biggest mistake <laughs> of of Roose Bolton's entire life. Like Tywin, who wanted to let the, the, the water carry Tyrion away, they both decided to let their sons live, and they both end up being killed by their sons. Yes, they do. That's right. Super, super hardcore. So just like, just like uh, 
Tywin has said to Tyrion on certain occasions and contradicted himself. Yeah, you are my son, right? It's like we should. That's like a total foreshadow too. That Bolton's gonna get it. Yep, totally. Um, So he's going on to say, you know, Stannis has an army at Castle Black. They're not gonna stay there. You know, he wants the Iron Throne. They got to go south to get it, and they're gonna pass Winterfell. He obviously means to take the north. um, So we don't want that to happen. You know, it's yours and mine. Will you help me defeat him? Basically. And this is, this is Roos's MO, his modus operandi for manipulating Ramsey. He builds him up and he threatens his status and place in the, in the, the food chain, basically in the line of succession for the Lordship of the dread fort. And, yeah. um, and uses the ensuing stress to manipulate Ramsey into doing his bidding. He's done it like, Throughout the story. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is t- like his, his, his MO. So Ramsey's just like, yes, I'll do whatever you say, father. Just, whatever you want me to do. <laughs> just keep me as your, as your I heir. will flay anybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. You want me to whack a guy, off a guy, whack off a guy? Because I'm married. Again. I love that quote. <laughs> oh, man. So what's next? Um, Stannis's departure from Castle Black. It's time. Uh, shouldn't we wait? (laughs) (laughs) Davos is carving that piece of wood, which has a poignant significance. Yes. The, the, um, the stag. Yeah. For Shireen. For Shireen, which he finds later. Yeah. Next to the burned pyre, basically. Partially charred itself. Oh man. This, you know, this Davos is basically in this part trying to get, Stannis to agree to leave the women behind, uh, behind at Castle Black, um, and he'll choose a dozen men to stay on their guard, you know, to guard the queen and the princess. I wonder if he already has a bad feeling about Shireen going south, or if he just thinks in general it would be safer for her to stay. I think it. I think he just thinks in general it's safer for them to stay because the conditions are going to be super bad going yeah, down there. Totally, <laughs> and and they're going down to fight. So like there's going to be battles and like if they captured Shireen. Yeah. It could be real bad. It could be really bad for her safety and the succession of Stannis's house, because like it or not, she's his only heir. Right. So, you know, I think Davos is thinking like, Castle Black isn't the greatest place for a queen and a princess, but it's sure as hell better than a military camp like in the snow with dangerous people all around them. It's a tough road ahead, Your Grace. Wouldn't they be safer here? Half these watchmen are killers and rapists. No, they march with us. Yeah. And that's like a total red herring to divert us from the actual danger that Shireen is facing when heading south, making us think that, ooh, Castle Black is a dangerous place. Yeah, she's she may get raped at Castle Black, but if she goes with you guys, she's going to get burned at the stake. Yeah. Yeah, so then we cut over to Shireen on the horse, and she goes, do you think Father will let me go down to the crypt? And Davos is like, what? what? <laughs> Beg your pardon? <laughs> At Winterfell, all the kings of the north are buried there. 
Bran the Builder and King Dorne. And <laughs> I love how she's like a history buff and like loves this type of thing. Yeah, she like knows everything. Yeah, it's so cool. It's cute. <laughs> and so Davos is like, first things first, it's a long march. We have to take the castle. And she's like, is there going to be a battle? Like you're saying, yeah, there's going to be battles and stuff. And yeah, he's like, uh, you know, yeah, that's kind of what I'm afraid of. You know, you don't want to be anywhere near that little, little, you know, honey. You just, <laughs> just stay away, please. Yeah. And Solis, she's so, ugh, she's so rank. Blah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's the worst. That's enough. That's enough talk of battles for Davos. You'll scare the child. Yes, so this is, this is interesting because Stannis refers to her as the princess. Davos refers to her as the princess. Her mom in the past has referred to her as a princess. But in this instance, she says, you'll scare the child. Interesting. So we see that she's detaching herself oh, from Elise, yeah. being her daughter, being a princess, being related to her. Yeah, exactly. It's a sort of psychological, uh, like a hint to her psychology. And it shows the exact opposite of what's happened with, with Tyrion and Jorah, where now it's a first name basis. Here, it's the opposite. Like you said, more detachment, um, less personal, the child, as opposed to the princess. Or my daughter, or... Yeah, so nice, you know, nice current, uh, mirroring of, of the Jorah stuff. Yeah, or even, even the girl, you know, would have been like the child. It's like, that's as generic as you can get. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and... Shireen's like, I'm not scared. <laughs> and Davos is so cute. Well, when the battle comes, promise you'll protect me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I love their little back and forths. And then we get Stannis and John, you know, saying their goodbyes. And Stannis, in his normal fashion, he's like, I better get my damn ships back. <laughs> mm -hmm. And John's like, you'll get them back. I swear it. Have a safe journey, your grace. And thank you. <laughs> and I thought the thank you was so, oops, sorry, almost dropped my paper. <laughs> um, his, his thank you was so sincere because he's thanking him for the boats, but he's also thanking him because he's about ready to go down and try to take Winterfell back. Right. Totally. Like, thank you for it's like, doing this for my thank family. Thank you for doing this for me and, and my family. And thank and, you for even offering him to be, you know, to rise as Lord of Winterfell. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, like, like he has a lot to be thankful, to be thankful for. thankful for. Yeah, totally. It's a great, it's a great little moment. I also like how, uh, like you mentioned that line, uh, promise me you'll protect me when Davos says that to Shireen. I love how he, he makes her feel powerful. You know? Yes. Like uh, talking about how she's smart and like, you know, she, how she teaches the older folks and stuff like that. And I don't know. It just, it's just a great dynamic. But. Yeah. Um, John says, you'll get the ships back. I swear it. Right. Except he will, will never have the opportunity to take the ships back because he dies. Right. So it's free ships for John. And um, I just thought of the parallel between the, the siege of Storm's End and the famine that that Stannis' hosts faced as they march south here. Oh, yeah, that's right? true. So Stannis, obviously... The second obviously, time he's kind of uh, faced this problem. Exactly. So I think that his PTSD that resulted from the siege at Storm's End creates a sort of sense of desperation 
during this siege that makes him more erratic and willing to go to intense measures and extreme lengths to try to attract good fortune for his troops. So basically what I'm saying is that the PTSD probably may be one of the influences that pushes him to go to the lengths of burning Shireen. Um, yeah, if he, absolutely. If he, he doesn't want to go there again. Right. He doesn't want to go through that whole experience again. I feel like if the siege of Win- at uh, Storm's End had never happened, that maybe it would have been more difficult to convince Stannis to I agree. sacrifice his daughter. Very sadly. Yeah, I agree completely. Oh, so brutal. Yeah. So uh, this is the last that John and Stannis will ever see each other. And yeah. as they ride off, Mel and John make eye contact, which is kind and of she's funny. She's like, "I'm gonna get you." Yeah, and they're uh, and then she rides off immediately, preceding uh, or uh, following Stannis. And there's just a really beautiful shot of the whole army sort of heading south along a narrow Sneaking. path next yes. to the wall. Just really cool shot. I like that a lot. Me too. I noted that as well. Nice. With the long line of armies marching. Yeah. It's eerie. Mm-hmm. What do you got next? Um, I have Grey Worm awakes. Nice. Startled awake. Yes. And he like, he's freaking out. He's trying to get up. And Masande is like, no, lay back down. You're still too weak. He's like, how the and fuck long have I been here? Three days. And the first thing and he does he, is ask oh, about Sir Barristan. Batman. Mm. And she just shakes her head like, no, I'm sorry. I love how she's stayed here with him too. And she obviously loves him so much. She's just waiting, yeah. waiting for him like a, like ghost waiting for John at, at oh. when he's dead, you know, like he curls yeah. up at the edge of the table. Like loyal. So, and he's like, Grey Worm's like, fuck, I failed him. I failed my men. I failed my queen. Poor Grey Worm. And like, what are you talking about? You've didn't fail anybody. You fought really bravely. You'll fight again. And she's like, are you ashamed? You know. Yeah, you were outnumbered, ambushed. There's no way you could have known. No, this is not why. Wounded in war, there's no shame for this. I'm ashamed because when the knife go in and I fall to the ground, I am afraid. All men fear death. (laughs) No, not death. I fear I never see Missande from the island of Noth. And it's like, oh. Yeah, such a powerful message that Grey Worm faces death. And all he can think about is Masande. It's, you know, easily one of the most romantic moments in the in the series. And she, like, gets and cuddles in bed with him. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's you can, like, cute. You can, like, feel the pain emanating off of Masande <laughs> as she loves him so much. And she's so happy that he loves her, too. And... And but she's also so sad that they may not be able to conventionally express their love for one another, you know. But, yes, you know, physically at yeah. least. There's like a sort of underlying te- tension that's present in all of their scenes revolving around that that um, obstacle, you could say. But it's a uh, it's it's such a powerful scene showing how the power of love can overcome any obstacle. Absolutely. Yeah, and she a good one. lies down with him and um, caresses his face, you know. <laughs> and they snuggle. Yep, beautiful moment. So then we get Masande and Danny. Nice. So Masande is like, you've given the masters what they deserve. 
And Danny makes a good point. <laughs> if I give everyone what they deserve, <laughs> I won't have a single person left to rule. They all deserve to die. <laughs> um, you know, we we come to see that Sir Barrison counseled Mercy and he basically counseled her that until the morning that he died. Dario thinks I should kill everybody, <laughs> kill the masters and let the city fend for themselves and basically go into civil war. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what do you think? Yep. Another great leadership aspect about Danny that she's willing to listen to everybody, small or large, you know, no matter who they are. Um, everybody's opinion makes a difference. Everybody has a different perspective and value and it's just really cool. And it's sort of, um, it's much like Stannis recognizing the value in Sam. Uh, Danny recognizes the value in Missande. Yeah, we start seeing how close, how trusted Missande is becoming to Danny as far as, you know, her growth as a leader. Right. She knows how incredibly smart she is, 17 languages, all of this experience and, and things, and she decides it's time to she's include her. She's been a slave herself. Yeah. And now she's freed and in a in a fairly, I don't want to say powerful position, but she's basically a part of Danny's small council. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty powerful she's position. Really, yeah, really powerful position. She yeah. has the queen's ear. That's totally. powerful. And as we learn now, um, not only does she have the queen's ear, she is capable of having an influence. Yeah, absolutely. And she's like, I don't think I'm fit to have an opinion on this. <laughs> like, this is like way out of my pay grade. <laughs> she's like, you're, you're fucking delusional. You're as fit as anybody I know. You know why I'm here. And you know who will suffer the most if this all falls apart. So, like, what do you think? It's awesome. And I love Masande's response because we've talked about this in previous episodes. I've seen you listen to your counselors. I've seen you lean on their experience. And when you felt like your own was lacking and weigh the choices put before you. But I've also seen you ignore your counselors because there was a better choice. One that only you could see. Love that line. Like, that's obviously referring to like the Drogon trade, you know, nobody else saw that option except Danny, the most clever, no. clever scheme. Like <laughs> so cool. And and also in season seven with the loot train battle, everyone like, so she has Tyrion saying, don't use your dragons. You have John echoing, don't use your dragons mm-hmm. because it's more of the same. If you're going to burn the cities to the ground, that's basically what Danny wants to do. Just go in and roast King's Landing. Right. So she weighs the options and she finds a better way. She's going to just focus her attack on the mili- the military of King's Landing right before they get into the city and annihilate the true threat, which is the military, not the commoners of King's Landing. Exactly. So yep. it's a great, it's a great scene between the two of them. Yeah. And it really, uh, Masande just really nail it, nails Danny's, um, her MO and style of leadership and her, just her unique capabilities that she has, uh, her, 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 her unique vision as a leader, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's all I have for my notes. Same here. All right. Stick with us guys. We'll be right back after a short break.
That's Keep Going by Pold. Check them out at soundcloud.com slash pold-music. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. First from Cinema Blend. Okay, so Game of Thrones doesn't have actual dragons in it. By Britt Lawrence. As it turns out, Daenerys' fairly iconic dragons on Game of Thrones are not technically dragons. What? Yes, you read that correctly. Did you know this, Rachel, already? No. Oh, really? Well, you're about to learn. Okay. (laughs) Based on the attributes that are regularly known to be specific to the creatures, Daenerys does not have even one, let alone multiple dragons. The reason? It's all in the legs. Dragons are supposed to have six appendages, with four legs and a pair of wings. For example, look at How to Train Your Dragons Toothless. Danny's pets slash children, on the other hand, have only two legs, which makes Drogon, Rhaegal, and Viserion something completely different. Wyverns. In, in parentheses, completely may be a bit of a strong word there. While constantly referred to as a dragonly matriarch, it turns out that Daenerys is more legitimately the mother of wyverns. Which is funny. <laughs> Let's face it, though, that still has a certain ring to it. It does. So, yeah, basically, wyverns are, you know, they're like, you could say, you could say that they're like a subcategory of dragons. Um, but, yeah, just with two back legs and their front legs are their wings. Whereas other dragons have four legs plus wings. So, just an interesting distinction to make. And definitely. Uh, yeah, it's funny. The author of this article wrote about it like it's like like somebody just pointed it out on on Reddit like last week. You know what I mean? But obviously, people have known this since the books came out. You know, <laughs> like oh. people who know what wyverns are and people who know what dragons are already knew this. But I just thought it was kind of a funny thing and uh, that it was worth pointing out. I like the two leg version because they look more animal like like um, aviary like animals. You know, right? Yeah, they're like more remindful of birds. Yeah, because like most bird, well, birds only have two legs. You know, so <laughs> yeah, and two arms. I was gonna be like most birds. I'm like, wait, all birds. <laughs> oh, and just so that listeners know, I've been meaning to talk about this for a while on the show, but the the first thing you hear on the podcast, the little kooky sound that plays, <laughs> is a recording of my bird Loki, who is our show's mascot. And if you look at the end of the show notes before Knock Two Studios, it says Loki approved for every episode. Yes, Loki. He hides in your sweatshirt and it's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's referring to Loki. But I've decided that as the mascot of Game of Microphones, I'm going to start referring to him as my dragon. Awesome. Or wyvern, I guess. <laughs> wyvern. <laughs> Does he breathe fire? <laughs> I certainly hope not. I'll be roasting my ear off. Oh, he's so cute. (laughs) Yeah, love Loki. Next, we have an article from Mental Floss. George R.R. Martin says some Game of Thrones fans have correctly guessed how it ends. Ooh, by Natalie Zamora. It has been well over a year since we've seen a new episode of Game of Thrones, and fans are getting restless. In the 16 months since the seventh season ended, viewers have been re-watching old episode, re-reading George R.R. Martin's books, listening closely for any season eight spoilers from the cast and crew, 
and concocting all sorts of theories about how it will end. Some of them are more plausible than others. <laughs> yeah. With so many fan theories out there, it was only a matter of time before someone correctly guessed the ending. And Martin has confirmed that some fans have done just that, at least when it comes to the books. Back in 2014, while speaking at an Edinburgh International Book Festival, Festival, Martin admitted that several fan theories have been directly in line with his own planned ending for Game of Thrones. So many readers were reading the books with so much attention that they were throwing up some theories. And while some of those theories were amusing bullshit <laughs> and creative, some of the theories are right, Martin said. At least one or two readers had put together the extremely subtle and obscure clues that I planted in the books and came to the right solution. I love that he plants clues. Like that's yes. just a cool thing about uh, his style of writing that there's intentional obscure clues. A lot of writers yeah, probably like, don't necessarily we have do that. it all. We have a ton of it on Dragonstone. Yeah. Like that's the key to like killing the freaking Night King. <laughs> totally. And we, you know, it was just like said in passing in this episode. You see, the ending is sitting right there just waiting to be discovered by anyone who can invest the time to rereading the books and analyzing even the tiniest details or listening to Game of Microphones. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, it doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Martin was talking about the ending of his A Song of Ice and Fire book series, not the HBO series. And while they could be one in the same, the television show could also deviate from what Martin is planning can't wait to see what happens. Nice. Yes. Moving on to Game of Thrones and history. From time.com, continuing from last week, nine books to read about the real history behind Game of Thrones by Sarah Begley. The Queen's Bed, an intimate history of, of Elizabeth's court by Anna Whitelock. Many Game of Thrones fans have compared Daenerys Targaryen to Elizabeth I, a fierce, independent queen who preferred ruling alone to giving up her power to a husband. Both also had to break ties with a close ally, Daenerys exiling her spying advisor Jorah Mormont and Elizabeth executing her treasonous pal Robert Devereux. Whitelock documents Elizabeth's lover and ladies-in-waiting, who had front row seats to the queen's role, much like Daenerys, Daenerys's posse. That's cool. Yeah. Next is Joan of Arc, a history by Helen Castor. Joan of Arc and Brienne of Tarth share two signature traits, a love of armor and an unflinching commitment to their ideals. Let's just hope Brienne's story doesn't end at the stake. Let's hope not. Yeah, seriously. Next, we have Glencoe, The Infamous Massacre of 1692 by John Sadler. The horrific Red Wedding has roots in the Massacre of Glencoe in 1692, when the 38 members of the clan MacDonald were killed by their own guests over a tardy pledge of allegiance to William and Mary. Brutal. The killings constituted a serious transgression against the rules of hospitality, both in the real world and the seven kingdoms. Martin says he also took inspiration from the black dinner when the Earl of Douglas was killed after being invited to dine with the King of Scotland. Pretty balls out. Interesting. Wow. Uh, William and Mary, those <laughs> my grandparents names. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah, awesome. My mom's parents. You hear that? What was that? Ah! 
Sir Matthew of House Rep. Some great wisdom from Maester Eamon in this episode. First, he tells John, a Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing. Do you think he knows at this moment that he's speaking to a great grandnephew? Oh, yes. There we go. He answered it for me. (laughs) Nice. Fast forward to season seven and the last two Targaryens are united. (laughs) Like really united. Like united at the genitals. (laughs) Mr. Eamon's words to John, kill the boy, are meant to be metaphorical, telling John to make hard decisions and be a man. Roos almost took it literally by drowning baby Ramsay. <laughs> Ramsay will take it literally by killing his newborn brother, we find out in this oh, episode. No. <laughs> Ramsay killed the boy Theon by making him reek, and Theon killed the boys that the North think are the Starks. Good connections, man. Wow, good one. This is also the episode we find out about the stockpile of dragon glass under Dragonstone. Yeah, he caught it too. Awesome. Totally. Thanks, Sir Matthew. Always good to hear from you, brother. Yes. Love your feedback. Hope you had a good Christmas. Lady Lisa of House Sky Pie Romancer. <laughs> Allow me to give my lord one last piece of counsel, the old man had said. The same counsel I once gave my brother when we parted for the last time. He was three and thirty when the great council chose him to mount the Iron Throne, a man grown with sons of his own, yet in some ways still a boy. Egg had an innocence to him, a sweetness we all loved. Kill the boy within you, I told him the day I took ship for the wall. It takes a man to rule, an Aegon, not an egg. Kill the boy and let the man be born. The old men felt John's face. You are half the age that Egg was. And your own burden is crueler one, I fear. You will have little joy in your command, but I think you have the strength in you to do the things that must be done. Kill the boy, Jon Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy and let the man be born. George R.R. Martin, A Dance with Dragons, A Song of Ice and Fire, Book 5. Oh, awesome quote. Yeah, I totally got goosebumps. Me too. Me too. So that's as we, as I'm sure you all realized, that's the the book version of this scene, and we learn uh, where we can deduce from this that Eamon is the older brother of Egg from the Dunk and Egg novellas. Yes, who uh, yes. turns out to be Aegon the Fifth, I believe. So yeah, really cool, uh, really cool connection. He's talking about his his younger brother telling how he told him to kill the boy first. And he's simultaneously unknowingly telling his, his, uh, his grand great grand nephew or whatever, the same message. And he's feeling his face. It's, it's a wonder that he didn't feel John's face and see, this is a Targaryen bone structure. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Or maybe he did. Maybe he did. Yeah. Who knows? Archmaster stitches of the luminescent citadel on the Siren Isle. Tyrion's face when he saw Drogon was like, they do exist. <laughs> and he, he posted the, uh, the the gif of that commercial of Santa from the, the M&M's commercial when he comes down oh, the yeah. chimney and he sees the red and the yellow M&M and they're like, oh my God, he does exist about Santa. And he's like, oh my God, they do exist about the M&M's. And he like passes <laughs> yes. out. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I remember that. <laughs> That's a great, uh, great connection there. Uh, Archmaster Stitches, love it. Love it. 
Next, we have Lord Brendan of House Ushery Hill. Duncan dropping Biggie verses. I see you, big guy. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. I had to post it. But That's awesome. yeah, got to show respect to the B.I.G. Yes. Totally. Good to hear from you, Lord Brendan. Lady Ellen of House Clark. So I was thinking on Leanna Stark and her beauty, which has led to this somewhat rambling post. <laughs> it's ironic to me that Sansa recalls everyone praising her aunt for her beauty particularly knowing that people often think Arya looks more like their aunt. Sansa clearly finds Arya not within her ideal of beauty, often calling her little sister Arya Horseface. <laughs> or Icelandic pony face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Robert and Rhaegar clearly found Lyanna attractive. Granted, Robert never really struck me as the overly picky type. I wonder if perhaps... He just likes big tits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or just any tits. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if perhaps she was more enigmatic than traditionally beautiful, per Westerosi standards. I could certainly see this of Arya. Yes, I like that. Yeah, very nice good. Nice parallel there. Thanks for writing, Lady Ellen. Love hearing from you. Yes, please write in again. Sir Pete of House Clark. Warning, long post. <laughs> contains spoilers book spoilers so if you're a little nervous about book spoilers you can skip ahead about 45 seconds hi guys i wanted to talk a little bit about your tourney of Hall as the spark of robert's rebellion it is believed by me that leona stark leona stark disguised herself as the knight of the laughing tree to soundly beat the knights in jousting she, a very good horsewoman, yes, she was, mm -hmm. whose squires beat up Hal and Reed in order to teach them a lesson. When Rhaegar was ordered to unmask and present the mystery knight before King Eris II to be executed, he probably found her changing out of the armor, saw the honor and valor of what she had done, then awards her with the love and beauty prize the next day. Winter roses, as this tourney was arranged very quickly in a snap spring, year of the false spring. No spring flowers were available as the prize. Another reason that this tourney was quickly pulled together was a cover for Rhaegar to discuss the soft removal of his father Ares II from the throne due to his mental illness far away from King's Landing with all the lords who matter. Yeah, that's a pretty significant thing about wow. the tourney of Harrenhal. Rhaegar was planning to uh, usurp the throne from his father. Wow, okay. King Ares shockingly shows up and shocks everyone who can see him in such a poor state of being. For Lyanna Stark's part, she was not in love with Robert, who at this point already has a bastard baby girl in the Vale book character, Maya Stone. She's the one that leads Catelyn up to the Eyrie. Exactly. Yep. Got it. Okay. He was not going to be faithful to her or any woman probably found Rhaegar charming and handsome for a youthful, intriguing, romantic match for her wild side. When the couple crosses paths, maybe by design or chance at the, in my opinion, in at the crossroads and leave together, someone with an axe to grind uses this information to do damage. Someone like Littlefinger tells hot-headed Brandon Stark that it was a kidnapping. The rest is history. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll know, you'll once you get to this part in the books, you'll know more about the Knight of the Laughing Tree. 
through a great story that Mira Reed tells Brandon Stark um, about a father that her story told her, or a story that her father told her about the the little Cranug man, which is fucking awesome. You'll you'll love it. Nice. Hello, Duncan and Rachel. It's Zach again with feedback for Kill the Boy. Man, this episode starts off hardcore. Danny plays some serious hardball with the uh, Masters of Marine. That, uh, damn, that was a tense scene in the, uh, down there in the bottom of the pyramid with uh, Viserion and Rhaegal, man. She she scares the shit out of those guys. Um, It's a pretty interesting scene when uh, she visits Hisdar in the, in the uh, in his cell and um man her disdain for him is just palpable even at the end where she says oh even though there's a suitor already on his knees she just oh, she can't stand him she knows she needs to use him to help rule marine but man she does not like that guy and rightly so um pretty interesting transition where Maester Aemon says a Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing. And then of course, who walks in? Jon Snow, aka Aegon Targaryen. So I uh, thought that was pretty interesting. I had totally forgot that we got another grammar lesson from Stannis in this episode with fewer. Uh, that's great. I always remember the one from uh, on the ship and the going into the Battle of the Blackwater. But I had forgotten about this one, so always love Stannis' grammar lessons. Ramsey Bolton. Dude, I forgot how much I hate him. I mean, I knew that I hated him, but all the shit he does in this episode alone. Arya calls the Hound the worst cunt in the Seven Kingdoms, but Ramsey Bolton is definitely the worst cunt in the Seven Kingdoms. Can't wait to see... Oh, can't wait to see him get fucking eaten alive um man that was a, a good line when they're eating dinner Sansa's eating dinner with the Boltons and uh she says this is her home it's just the people that are strange and Ramsey looks at her with that crazy ass look in his eye and says you're right very strange god man that guy oh hate that guy so much the scene where Tyrion and Jorah see Drogon is god I love that scene so much it's so magical even in the books you get even more background about how Tyrion used to want to have a dragon when he was a little boy and the dreams and all that so Tyrion seeing a real live dragon in the world in the here and now you know not hundreds of years ago reading about him that uh, that's just you know, it gets real for Tyrion at that moment. Great episode. Uh, great podcast, guys. Keep it up. Thanks again for all your feedback, Lord Zach. We love hearing from you each week. Fuck yes. <laughs> yeah. That's our show, episode 87. Woo! Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you guys so much. Please keep sending in your feedback. We love reading it. 
Also, a huge shout-out to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our podcast. Awesome! If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. And thank you to Lord Robert of House Missyavej, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, for your donation. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. We'd also like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke, the Lord Duke. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage very much. I hope you guys all had a great Christmas. Yes, we hope you guys all had a wonderful Christmas. We're also working on putting together some more interesting incentives for supporting the show. Let us know what you would want. And if you have any cool ideas, we would love to hear them. And also, we'd like to give a big shout out and thank you to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pyromancer. Like I said, she's been awesome working with us behind the scenes to get our website up and running, gamewithmicrophones.com. And uh, she's just really been a huge asset. I can't thank her enough for everything that she's done and uh, continues to do. She's and, uh, awesome. I, yeah. love, I love you, Lady Lisa. <laughs> you had me at pie romancer. <laughs> I, too, am a pie romancer. <laughs> a pumpkin pie romancer this holiday season. Yeah, you guys love Lady Lisa, too. And uh, if you want to have the opportunity to love her, one way to get to do that is to check out her book, the People You May See. It's a children's yes. book. It's available on Amazon. And uh, she is a world-class artist. And she's she's you know done a number of amazing illustrations that are filling this book. So check it out. And uh, you guys will really enjoy it, I'm sure. Next episode, we'll be covering Season 5, Episode 6, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. It's up! You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. They held each other close and turned their backs upon the end. The hills that split asunder and the black that ate the skies. The flames that shot so high and hot that even dragons burned. Would never be the final sights that fell upon their eyes. A fly upon the wall, the waves the sea wind whipped and churned. The city of a thousand years and all the men had learned. 
the doom consumed it all alike, and neither of them turned. Seven blessings, stone men of the doom. Oh, that didn't come out right. <laughs> <laughs> he's so dry. I mean, he's like beyond dry. <laughs> he's like dehydrated. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I make fewer mistakes with this grammar than I used to. Uh, yeah. See what I did there. So this guy is getting roasted hard. <laughs> and then the dragons each grab half of him and just rip him right in half. <laughs> <laughs> That's so intense. <laughs> Blood just splatters everywhere. <laughs> For the rewatch. <laughs> just do For it. For the rewatch. <laughs> I just gotta do it. Roasted masters. Love it. Come get your masters. Hot, salty masters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you guys are strange, motherfuckers. It's the people. But it's cool. It's cool looking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, master. master. <laughs> I'm <Rick> James. <laughs> what do the five fingers say to the face? Slap. <laughs> Unity. <laughs> Cut his guts from his belly and make them eat them. <laughs> in the books, he's a couple generations older. Even he's like wicked old in the, in the books. So like a great, 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 great uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Oh, it's my like, God. oh, my God. Like, I need that in, like, my inspirational (laughs) (laughs) affirmations in the morning. (laughs) Here, follow me. I got to show you something cool. Just walk to the end. It'll be fine. It's not a trap at all. I swear. It's perfectly safe. (laughs) What about Valar Valar Mughalis? (laughs) (laughs) Valar (laughs) Mughalis. Oh, that's going in the outtakes. No. No. At the end. <laughs> I just can't say it right now. Uh, <laughs> Valar Mughalis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Valar Mughalis. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I did not want to die a coward. (laughs) We see a lot of Miranda, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. Hey. Hey, girl. Eat a cheeseburger. (laughs) Yeah, please. (laughs) I got these cheeseburgers, man. My dreams didn't come true, and I got stuck in this place that it sucks basically and i was neutered and so it's right about at that moment when stannis comes strolling down the steps and the get- manis <laughs> the manis so there's the spies of winterfell like you just said and then there's the ghost of winterfell oh, cool. and then there's the bastard of winterfell <laughs> you know there's all these things <laughs> of winterfell 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 <laughs> yeah i'm not talking about the boltons Sorry, I'm not talking about the Boltons. I need to get a message to her, to Sansa Stark. Do you think she's pretty? And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm not blind. He totally scoffs at her. He's like... <laughs> a father that her story told her, or a story that her father told her about the, the little Cranog man. We're also look, 
Sorry, blah, 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 blah. <laughs>